Gosh, I can't even handle an Octorok. I thought I was the hero legend, but I'll never stop Ganon like this. Some hero you are. I didn't want to have to pilfer the royal treasury, but maybe one of our masks will make you better at the job. Well, madame, let's try this one that changes form every episode first. Perfect. I've been waiting for this chance. Cobra! Attack! Whoa, what the heck just happened to me? I felt like I had a whole army at my command that could never hit anything. Oops, that one should have stayed in the Saturday morning vault. Let's try another. How about this one? We acquired for a great price after the bread was defaced. Excuse me, party for two. Smoking! Why don't I just cut out the probable duds then? This one should be very empowering. This city just showed you that it's full of people ready to believe in good. Wow! I never thought you'd intimidate even me, Spooky! I'm ready. This mask is strong enough to make a beating a pig seem like nothing at all. My calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. Three, two, one! RPGs from the 1980s right up through yesteryear. Brought to you by the staff of RPGamer.com, we tackle the good, the bad, and the ugly games from nearly 30 years of RPG history. So sit down and hold on tight. Your next adventure is about to begin. Here are the hosts of RPG Backtrack, Phil Willis and Mike Minky. And welcome to RPG Backtrack number 75, A Link to the Future. I'm your host, Phil Willis. And I'm back after experiencing the thrill of being a pallbearer for the first time in my life. Nice. Well, that, that, that feels some RPG tropes right there. <laughs> yeah, doing it in real life, though, is a little different. Yeah. And that's Mr. Mike Minky. And we're ready to we're ready to host a, a brand new backtrack because we have a new intro, which means the show's completely different now. Because at the intro, you just heard awesome. I like to change it up every couple of dozen of shows or so just to keep it fresh. Help! Uh, let's see, we're gonna be talking about some Legend of Zelda games tonight. To help us do that, we got two other wonderful staff members from the RPE Gamer Trope. We have Mr. Michael Apps. How you doing? And Mr. John Yearworth. Ladies and gentlemen, your ratings have just gone up. <laughs> oh, snap! Oh. The sounds of your mellifluous voice just do that automatically. Wow. You should be proud. Step back, Jack. Whew. So, uh, let's see here. Uh, looks like we're going to be talking about Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask, Legend of Zelda Oracle of Ages, and Legend of Zelda Oracle of Seasons. 
And we all know those last two is like Pokemon Black and White. No big deal. No. Two different bosses, no. maybe that's it. Yeah. No. But we'll be talking. <laughs> we'll hold off on that in just a little bit. If we have more time, we also have some blasts from the recent past, but I'm not sure we're going to have time after talking about these guys. We'll see. Um, so, uh, check with you guys. How was your week? Everybody ready to have a good time? Have a good week? Do anything fun? Exciting? Mr. Apps? Ready to, ready to rock and roll? What's that? I'm, I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> playing Super Robot Tyson. <gasps> oh, hello. Oh, my goodness yes. gracious. Paying attention to the Q&A files, John, I, I finally convinced him to try it. Oh, really? Oh, nice. Yes. I got the two Game Boy Advance games for a total of about uh, $350. Oh, sweet. Nice. Well, I can't beat well, that with a stick. They're easily worth 10 times, 20 times that, so consider yourself lucky. Yeah. Yep. Ooh. And uh, how about you, Mr. John? Everything going good for you this week? Uh, my uh, the university, I believe, has confirmed the, this week, maybe last week, that I have got my two-one uh, degree from my university. Ooh, two-one degree. What's a two-one yep. degree? Oh, oh, God. Um, to explain the complexities of the British undergraduate degree classification system, <laughs> we would probably need an entire podcast. <laughs> We'd have to go to Cornell University to figure it out. Oh, that's too funny. And I believe we also have yet a a, a surprise third guest, RP Gamer staff member, Miss Cassandra Ramos. Hello. Welcome, welcome to the show. Are you ready? Are you hyped to talk about a quartet of Legend of Zelda games? That I am. All righty. Well, that's awesome. Sandra, what is it that makes you so lucky in getting all these night shifts? Uh, nobody else wanting to do it, <laughs> essentially. Oh, that's fun, huh? That's Mrs. That's Miss Ramos stepping up to the plate, making it happen. Hey, that's how I get my promotions. All right. Well, while uh, while we wait for Miss Cassandra to get her next promotion, we're going to take a small musical break, and we'll be right back. kick off this party talking about The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. This was developed and published by Nintendo um, on the Nintendo 64 system. 
<laughs> um, so hard not to laugh. Um, it's released on November 21st, 1998. This is a single-player action-adventure game for your N64. And it's rated E for everybody, even though it has all that violence with bombs and swords and, and battle cries. Yeah! You know, yeah. And little evil twisted pixies that keep going, Hey, listen! Yeah. But it's all there, and it's all rated E for everyone. Awesome. So, wow. Are you saying, Phil, are you implying that the ESRB might have been influenced by Nintendo? Hmm. Gasp. <laughs> Get how out. Could suggest, how could you suggest such a thing? Be, I've been around the block. It'd be kind of cool if you had like a Legend of Zelda game that looked like Legend of Zelda... Uh, as far as the artistic sense goes, but once the sword came out, it looked a lot closer to God of War. You hit one of those Octoroks, and his blood just goes all over the screen and stuff. And yeah, wow, that'd be pretty cool. And then Link has his own private quarters where there's women Links or whatever. There's a mini game in there, just like God of War. Awesome. I think they already almost made that game. It was called uh, Dark Siders or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go ruin Shigeru Miyamoto's life and see what he turns out then. <laughs> so, so uh, I, I had a Nintendo 64, and just like a number of people, I was pretty disappointed, uh, most notably especially with its RPG offerings. Um, aside from, I think I had... Are, are oh, you saying Quest 64 didn't wet your whistle for <laughs> RPGs? <laughs> no, it left my whistle quite dry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't even waste my time with uh, with Quest 64. I read the reviews. Um, <laughs> but uh, I had uh, Ogre Battle 64, and 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 you know I couldn't even get into that as well as I did the original Ogre Battle uh, on the Super Nintendo. But yeah, Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time was was just a huge, huge, wow, oasis in this desert of of just. <laughs> No games. Uh, no fun games, at least for, for somebody with my taste. I wasn't a GoldenEye fan. I didn't get into the whole GoldenEye craze. Uh, you know, I totally missed on that one awesome game. What was it called? Superman 64? I don't oh, know. God. Yeah. You mean you missed out on flying through all those rings that the angry nerd talked about? I did. A man. It looks so cool. I mean, who wouldn't want to play the Man of Steel? But unfortunately, we're not here to talk about the Man of Steel. We're here to talk about the elf with the sword. So, um, all, all I'll say is I'm going to let you guys mostly go through it because you guys usually have better memories than I do. But I will say that it is one of the very few games that I've actually played through to completion. And that's what? saying, so yeah, get out. <laughs> yeah. It was just that freaking good. The music is awesome. The gameplay was super, super tight. And, I mean, my wife was watching and listening and sing, humming the little song throughout the house. I, it's just really, really, a, a, you know, an absolute piece of art. But uh, let's get into some of the details. Who would like to talk about this story, which is actually a tad bit deeper than most other Zelda games? Okay, Mr. Minky, go. Don't look at me. I never even owned an N64. But you could. They're like, what, yes, five I bucks? I could own one, but I don't. <laughs> so what can I tell you about the game? Um, EGM gave it a Platinum Award, which means four tens. Uh there, I've said what I know. Who's that other guy on our show today? Don't we have some other guy on the show? Oh, yeah, Mr. Apps. Uh, all right. You want me to take the story? Well, do you remember the story? Uh, yes. 
Alright, go the for it. Link gets dumped off as a child to these, uh, oh my god, what were the name of those people? Kokiri. Uh, Kokiri. Thank you, thank you. Uh, so they're basically like, I, I guess you'd say elves, uh, really long lives, etc. Eventually finds out he's not one of them. Uh, oh my god, I'm kind of forgetting how this story almost, starts. Almost, Somebody almost help burns, me. Almost burns a tree down. Yes. That sounds like a bad thing for any elf to do. A little bit. Just a little. Um, tree had some sort of monster in it, which you fought as a boss, so they would have been killed anyway. Yeah, because for some reason, Zelda has a thing about sentient trees. Actually, I can't remember. Was the was the is the Deku tree a recurring character? Or, uh, I think it only uh, in the in the what you call Wind Waker and the Oracle games have their own trees. Yeah, or, or he's just some kind of you know sentient tree character. But yes, basically you're given a you're given the. Uh, well, I'm trying to remember it myself. Now. It feels like quite a long time. Well, spiritual, st- spiritual. The Deku tree gives him a spiritual stone. Yes. Yes. Um. Oh, and there's this evil guy called Ganondorf, and, well, he's generally bad news. Well, yeah, because the game starts off, it's it's in the intro uh, sequence. He has a he has some sort of nightmare of Ganon running out of the castle with, uh, with Zelda in his arms. Uh, no, it's, uh, he's, he's chasing uh, Zelda. Zelda's in the arms of her, her gender-bending assistant. Oh. And uh, Ganondorf follows them on his... Touch my memory, Spuzzy. Whatever. Wait, gender bending. Tingle didn't appear yet, did he? Uh, did Imp- I don't recall Impa doing any sort of gender bending. That was Zelda herself who did that. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, good point. Yeah. Damn. It was just her protector, ter- you know, and such. Yeah. I'm she- sorry. I'm still confused by that whole thing. Some, <laughs> some, somebody promised to explain that to me when I was much older because I asked around, and Phil will explain it to you when you're older. That's all I remember. Uh, so the Deku tree, uh, you know, after he has a little run in through there, uh, I believe sends him, uh, to Hyrule Castle, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. To meet Zelda. And, um, and she's been having, uh, dreams of her own and saw, kind of saw Link's arrival. And, um, uh, believes that Ganondorf is doing what Ganondorf always does, which is trying to get this Triforce. <laughs> I thought it, well, yeah, get the Triforce well, the first and take over the world. <laughs> yes. Yeah, like every Zelda game ever. Hmm. But this may be the first time he does it. Seems to be, so far. Oh, yeah, are we going to delve into this? Do we want to try and place this in the Zelda timeline? No, no, that's no. beyond the scope no. of this podcast. <laughs> there is an official timeline now, though, but we don't have to do it. Then in the, well, there's an official timeline that's split into three. Yeah. I, I watched the game trailer special on it. I think it was game trailers where they tried to explain this whole thing, and I'm still lost. That's actually pretty close to the actual idea. <sighs> Anyways, yeah. If any of you want to go to Cornell University and figure that out, I'm sure you can just Google it. But, yeah, we're not going to go there today. <laughs> well, well, the... Two of the timeline splits make perfect sense. The third one is a little funkier. I think we're, we, guys, we, I think we're getting. I think we're getting sidetracked. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. So, so um, 
So what happens? He wins to the, he wins to the castle, and what happens? Uh, talks to Zelda, so they want to try and stop Ganondorf. So he's got to get the other thingies that will allow him access to the Temple of Time and the Master Sword. Mm-hmm. Uh, time being one of the major motifs of the game. Yes. So he, he rides off. Has he, get, he gets the three stones, I imagine, right? Yep. Yes. He usually does. <laughs> and then yeah, he named off named after the named after the three gods who created the world, of course. Ah, well, that's very convenient. And yep. then he returns to the castle, and I think that's where he actually sees his dream coming true, or his nightmare coming true, where where Ganon is is pursuing Zelda. Yep. And she gives she uh, as Zelda escapes, she throws uh, the ocarina of time. You know the. The thing that the, that the game is named after into the moat, because that's what you're supposed to do with precious artifacts, I suppose. <laughs> which is the final key to unlocking uh, the Temple of Time, which Link dutifully does, and then realizes that, that was a really bad idea. Whoops. Oh dear, good job breaking it, hero. <laughs> well, in fairness, he is ten years old at this point, right? Yeah, he is like ten. Yeah. It's all right, Link. We forgive you. You were stupid. You know, you were just young and young enough. You were young and stupid. Yeah, you have to make allowances for children like that. Yeah. So basically, um, uh, Ganondorf is able to. Uh, I'm trying to remember what he's able to do at this point. He accesses the sacred realm, which is kept in the Temple of Time, or like it has a door to the sacred realm, which yeah. allows him to touch the Triforce. The four, it, splits, it splits into its three parts, but uh, he was still managed to make a wish, and his wish was to rule over Hyrule. And Link goes, goes to sleep after touching the Master Sword, I think, for seven years. Yeah, they were, well, basically, the, one, of the, one of the seven sages seals him in the Temple of Time for seven years, and he, he grows, grows up during this time. Hmm. So he becomes a young, strapping lad of 17 to, who can now wield bigger weapons. And for some reason can no longer toss his boomerang. Yeah, for some bizarre reason. (laughs) Well, apparently the laws of physics just change as you get older. Obviously, boomerangs... Well, no, I mean, you're no no longer 10, so those cartoons (laughs) that you think apply to you don't apply anymore. Well, it's it's really... When you're you're 17, you're just way too manly at that point to play with boomerangs. It's like playing with Barbie dolls. You just give it up. Of course. Yeah, he's just too embarrassed. Maybe they take away... You know what it is? His boomerang license expired while he was sleeping. Those things are only good for a few years. He doesn't have enough time to get it renewed, I guess. Yeah. Well, they might... uh, Hey, the government of Hyrule must be run by some very, very stiff and stringent people. We have Zelda's out of the picture, which she usually is. Uh, So... Uh, so, and this is usually, uh, and this is, I believe that that future world is like a world of darkness or something like like mixing that that up with the other Zelda. (laughs) Yeah. The the future is essentially because it's being ruled over by Ganondorf, obviously. So less, you know, it's everything's certainly not peachy keen there. Well, yeah. I mean, if I remember correctly, when you, uh, you, after you link grows up, you leave the temple of time. And when you're inside the temple, it looks like nothing has changed. When you get outside, the previously, like the first thing you see when you leave the Temple of Time, is the camera is angled so you can see uh, Death Mountain in the background, which where where Link has been previously is is where the Gorons live in Ocarina of Time, 
and in when he's younger, uh, there is a, a ring ring of smoke around the uh, around the mountain. And I think your your first indication, if you don't notice the fact that it's extremely dark foreboding and there's this kind of evil wind blowing, is there's this massive red ring of fire around the mountain now. It's kind of like, well, you know, shit, the world's gone to, yeah, hell, places. Hell in a handbasket. <laughs> yeah, and then when you walk into the town square, which was previously full of uh, friendly townsfolk, it's now full of, well, zombies. Three dead. <laughs> Yeah, redeads. You know, that's that's what happens when the Democrats take office. It all turns... I'm just kidding. All right, not going there. Oh, no, bad. Bad show hopes, bad. Phil, you just did that because it's an election year, didn't you? Bad show hopes, bad. So, uh, Good God, Phil. <laughs> so, See if Mr. Obama sends you any more appeals for money now. So, yeah. Um, so if you want to see what happens in the end, which you'll never guess, uh, I guess you'll need to play through the end. Cause, cause Wait, we're not, we're not going to tell them that's unlike us. <laughs> we're not, we're not going to do our, we're not going to do our usual spoiler thing. It's, it's so predictable. I don't think we need to. I think it would be rhetorical. Oh. <laughs> spoiler alert. Ganon is defeated. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> what? So that ending I saw on YouTube with the giant pink elephant was fictitious. <laughs> yeah. well, yes. specific, um, specifically, the, the, the general deal now that you're older is you now have to awaken the, the seven sages of the various elements. Uh, be, you awaken the first one in the Temple of Time automatically, the, the, uh, the Sage of Light, I think it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone wants to correct me on that one. Yeah, Sage of Light. Yeah, and then you go, then you go, to the, you go back to um, the Kakiri village and you delve deeper into the Lost Woods to find the Forest Temple. Then you go to the Fire Temple and so on and so forth until you awaken all uh, seven of the sages who create this fabulous rainbow bridge to Ganon's castle. Um, no, which that, sounds, that sounds similar to A Link to the Past. Yeah, I was just about to say, which is basically what happened in Link to the Past, except replace the sages with maidens and... I can't remember what you had to do in the light world and Link to the Past. It's been such a long time. Well... Uh, you had to open a few palaces and get into the the central castle again where you fought Aghanim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was it. Did well, you have to get, like, uh, pendants or something like that? I can't remember. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember either. Yeah. I'll take you word for basically, it. Basically, we're rich, we're, essentially... The only difference is in Link to the Past is uh, Link didn't grow older. But if, if you played both, uh, Ocarina of Time is probably treading familiar territory. Admittedly, I played Ocarina of Time first and then went back to play Link to the Past later. Same here. But yeah, uh, I still the similarities. Yeah, there's quite a few similarities there. Well, well, the games did come out, what, seven years apart? I think we can frame a little bit. Well, yeah. It- I kind of played both games later than when they came out, for sure. I actually, oddly enough, I actually played Ocarina of Time after I played Wind Waker. Wind Waker was like my first Zelda game. Wow. Hmm. If you started even later, you could have played Twilight Princess first. <laughs> well, we don't, uh, as, as much as we uh, enjoy talking about the story, it's rarely the centerpiece of the Zelda experience. So let's talk about the gameplay. For the... For the very few people out in the world who've maybe never picked up a Zelda game before. <laughs> Sandra. Um, Ocarina of Time is an action-adventure game with role-playing and puzzle elements. 
if that makes any sense. It's all three of these things mixed together. Uh, actually, I think what we've got to thank, um, what we've got to thank uh, Zelda's gameplay for is creating endless arguments across the internet over whether it's an <laughs> RPG or not. Oh, sweet mercy. <laughs> but we're just going to sidestep those arguments. Yeah. It's on the bar- it's on the RPG backtrack and that's enough. There you yeah. go. I mean, it, 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 well, I, I was kind of going to say that it it certainly is one of the more even if you do consider it an RPG, it's certainly one of the more uh sort of actiony ones. Yeah. Com- com- probably compared to a lot of its contemporaries at the time. Oh yeah. Well, yeah. um I mean, I mean, you actually have to hold the button to block. I mean, you know, that's bordering on fighting game territory. <laughs> fighting game territory. Well, I, you know, I, I think, um, gosh, no, see, I know if I say anything, you'll get drawn to it. <laughs> say it. Say it. I, I, I mean, it. I, I grew up playing Dungeon Dragons back in the 80s while playing, you know, The Legend of Zelda. And for some reason in my mind it was, even though I don't ever remember looking at the box and trying to figure out what the classification was, and even though it didn't have the experience points that I was used to seeing in Dungeons & Dragons, for me it was an RPG for no other reason that it drew me into this, you know, huge open world where I could go and slay monsters and fight dragons and go through dungeons. And, And I think for me, you know, to this day, one of the you know the strong things of what makes an RPG for me is the fact that it draws me into you know this fantasy world and draws me into the character. And back in those days, especially in eight bit days, you know that was that was all I needed. And and there, you didn't have a lot of story and plot and stuff because that's all the hardware. You know the hardware didn't really support a whole lot of that. Heck, even my Dungeons and Dragons Gold Box games, they couldn't even put the text in the game. You had to read a separate book. Yeah. So I mean, it was you know having a having the adventure that was just like, hey, you're a guy. Here's a sword. Here's a shield. Go kill Ganon somewhere. You know, go defeat the evil one. That was all we needed for a role playing game back then, and we were oh, okay sure. with it. Sure. Anyway, uh, so uh, yeah, the uh, the gameplay in Zelda is very uh, you know definitely very action adventure-y, um As far as you know, I mean, the, you will be spending the vast majority of time uh, roaming through open fields and dungeons from a third-person perspective, uh, with a button for your sword and a button for your shield and some special buttons. Uh, you know, the yellow buttons for using some of your special items and uh, and overcoming obstacles uh, as you crawl through. Dungeons, Dungeons, you will face uh, a number of traps that get in your way, and you'll have to use the old noggin or reach for the FAQ like I did in the Water Temple. And, uh, oh God, do not get me started on the Water Temple, it's please! Your, it's your friend. It's much better in the 3DS version. Yes, uh, I know. I'm, I've been made aware of that. So you, uh, but I agree. Oh, yes, the Water Temple, the Water Temple. So you'll be. Players guide extensively for that one. Yeah, exactly. The FAQ. I was sitting there reading it line by line. Going, what does it mean by look? At, what the? Hell? I don't know how I got through it, even with the FAQ. But anyways, um, yeah, you'll be uh, going through some uh, sometimes some uh, controller throwing puzzles, uh, and then facing off against very big, huge bosses. Um, and as far as the uh, you know the RPG elements, you're you're talking to townspeople. You pretty much got an open environment to to roam around, and there are a number of things that you can do. It's not super. I mean, it is linear in the fact that you pretty much got to beat these three dungeons before this part of the game opens up and the such. But um, I don't remember. Can you do those three those first three dungeons in any order? 
Well, you got the Dooku tree you came first, but the other two, could you knock them out in any order, or did you have to do one to get the item to be able to do the second one? I'm pretty sure you had to do those three in order. Okay. Again, it's um, like a Sorry, which ones did you have to do in order? The first the, three. Yeah. Oh, the three pearls. Yeah, I believe you do, because but, uh, you can't access the third one until you get... Um, there's that big, fat fish guy who blocks your way, and he won't shift until I believe you've cleared the... Uh, the second one. Cleared the second one. I think there, are, there. Are, I think you can do a couple of the stuff in the adult sections out of order. Okay. You can. But, I've actually been doing that in the 3DS version. Um, but you, you know, and on top of being able to do some of the later dungeons, apparently in different orders, uh, you'll you'll also have opportunities to, you know, do. Hey, you can go out and just farm some gold and buy power ups uh, for Link, or do some of the optional uh, side quests and mini games that oftentimes uh, yeah, have the their massive, own rewards. The, the, the obligatory massive delivery fetch quest thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> fetch quest, which, yeah, which, yay! Which I, uh, which I, I, I actually. Um, when I encountered it in uh, Ocarina of Time, the, the big long quest that gets you the Biggeron sword, mm-hmm. uh, which is a big two-handed, sort of, a very effective two-handed sword you can get for Link. Uh, I was just thinking back to that long fetch quest, tradey fetch quest thing you had to do in Link's Awakening on the, the original Game Boy, which is because it's pretty much the same thing. Mm-hmm. Sort of grab item A, trade to person B, grab item B, trade to person C, and so on and so forth. I mean, hell, uh, Ocarina of Time even fakes you out by uh, giving you a, 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 a two-handed weapon called the Giant's Knife, which is fine, but if you swing it against something hard, it snaps. Uh, right, right. I think I picked that guy up at one point. Yeah. <laughs> kind of disappointing. Just a little. Um, and uh, as far you know, you can talk to townspeople and, and find a few things out here and there. Um, unlike a traditional RPG, your your main way of powering up isn't through experience points and leveling up, but rather as you're going through uh, the side quests and the dungeons, you'll collect uh, items and more powerful weapons, and that is that will open up that will that will open up new avenues, uh, clear out some puzzles for you that will enable you to go further and make it easier to take care of monsters uh, that maybe originally gave you a hard time. Um, so. That's well, yeah, the, the, I was going to say specifically the arrangement would be um, you would end up picking up usually a new item or a new weapon in the dungeon in a dungeon that then would now it requires extensive usage of it in order to clear. Mm-hmm. Like, say that where the dungeon where you first pick up the boomerang, you need to use it fairly extensively in order to clear some of the puzzles. And usually, the boss of that particular dungeon will that weapon is its weakness, or it can expose its weakness, or you've got to use it during a boss battle usually. Yeah. Though the world was was huge and very open and some of the dungeons were were pretty big. And I mean you're constantly looking around and it's just you're looking for new things to, you know, to to do or looking for new avenues and it's just I don't know, for some reason it struck me as pretty big for its day. But then again I didn't get out much. What what, <laughs> what, what? <laughs> Um Well the dungeons are some of the best in the series and you know, definitely for that time, I, I can't really think of a, a, anything with dungeons kind of to that scale. You use the one of one of the biggest innovations that really helped this game. You know, set itself apart. If you play, especially if like me, you had spent any time playing some other third person type of games, uh, especially RPG things like Kingsfield. <laughs> uh, I think it was called Kingsfield. Oh, that yeah. abomination I, on the PlayStation 1. 
I think I know what you're talking about, Phil. Yeah. I've heard of that series. <laughs> yeah. Um, boy, you play, uh, but with Zelda, you know, you had this button, you, you could press the Z button, get a target on the guy, and once you were on that, once you hold down the Z button uh, facing a monster, as you moved around, you would always be facing that monster, and your weapons would always aim at that monster. So by holding down that trigger, it really took care of the problem that in a lot of other 3D type of games, like let's say if you're playing like a Mario 64 and he has fireballs, I still find it hard on some of those games to hit something with a fireball because it's hard to line him up with to where he's exactly facing the monster so, you know, so it shoots in a straight line and hits the guy. But in Zelda, it really wasn't a problem, and it was revolutionary for its time. Um, in fact, I remember playing um, Morrowind. And uh, which came out much later. And in Morrowind, there's no Z targeting. You know, I'm like trying to cast a spell. Wait, stay still. Oh crap! And thankfully, it's not third person; it's first person, so it's it's a bit easier. But still, uh, especially if you like me and you like to play in the third person more often than first person, it's like, man, I wish I had some Z targeting on this thing. You know? Yeah, it seemed, uh, Z targeting was definitely one of those additions to to I I I'd say basically like the entire genre almost. The, you know, effectively locked your you know, the camera towards your target was just was really needed, and I'm very glad that Zelda had it. Yeah, I, I, before this game, is there any good camera that has held up in a 3D game? Mario 64, uh, maybe. Mario 64 was okay. Really? It, it Mario 64's camera wasn't bad per se. It was, you know, I think it did the job. Yeah, it, it did all right. But with 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 you know, Mario 64 is a good example of why I needed Z targeting in Mario because I would try to jump. I can't tell you the Goombas would kick my butt. The Goombas, why? Because I'm jumping in the air and I just missed the jump by two two inches because I don't get the aim just right because it's in 3D and you got full three. 360 control of which way Mario is facing, and if you're running towards that Goomba to jump on him, but you're off by three degrees or something, then yeah, you, you end up next to him. The Goomba turns around, bites you in the ankle. He's cute, um, and I think, but I, you know, then, but then, and in, in, not that we're here to talk about Mario 64, but they gave you a lot more <laughs> life than they did in a standard Mario game, and I think that was to kind of compensate for the fact that they knew that the controls were more difficult to work with. Uh, but in Zelda, in Zelda, you pretty much have the same life force that you do in a 2D Zelda game but it's not detrimental because the control is just so solid using the Z control it's easy to you press up to go towards the enemy you press back to get away pressing up twice I think jump towards the enemies back twice backs away real fast he does a quick back hop left and right will make him run in a circle around the enemy it was just absolute genius it absolutely uh, made it much it was, more fun to play uh, I think it was uh, direction in the A a button on the oh, direction A. Yeah. It did, um, like, for example, sidestepping, uh, yeah, like a uh, side uh, jump, jumps, and yeah, rolls and the like. Yeah, it's been 10 years, so 12 years, <laughs> 15 years. How long has it been? When did this game come out again? I just said 1998, so yeah, 15 years. Because I pretty much yeah. got it when it came out and played through it. Uh, oh my gosh, <gasps> it was like the year I got married. Wow, that's old. Anyway, you know, uh, actually. You keep talking about the Z button and the A button, but since this is about the only time we're ever going to talk about the N64, and I haven't played it, um, does the controller make any difference in how um, amenable it is to being played easily? Well, I know... Um, uh, I mean, the only other way you can play it is like on a 3DS, and I know with the 3DS version, uh, they've changed around the controls just enough to where it works... <laughs> Well, can... actually, there's the uh, there's kind of two. There was a special. Um, I think it was was there two of them. One was a yeah. was a uh, was a 
it's like a sort of special edition if you pre, uh, pre-ordered the Wind Waker and you got a GameCube version of Ocarina of Time. That's the one I played. And so you use the GameCube controller instead of a the N64 controller. You can also... Uh, it's on the Wii Virtual Console, too, right now. So mm. Yeah, they also had a Zelda collection for GameCube that had ah, that Majora's yeah, Mask and some of the other Zeldas. Oh my gosh, yes, I've played... Yeah, actually, I got that collection, and I played it on my Wii, but I'm using uh, a classic controller, whatever it's called. Something classic controller. What's yeah, it classic? <laughs> GameCube classic controller? Is that what it's called? Just classic yeah. controller. You can also use a GameCube controller on the Wii if you have any on GameCube. Yeah. That's what I'm using. I have a GameCube controller. That's right. I'm using the GameCube controller. Right, right. I do have the classic controller as well, but for Zelda, I was using the GameCube controller, and it worked. I, I didn't have any problems. Yeah, it and works I, just I, fine. Uh that worked just fine on the N64 controller. It, it, it's just designed well enough that uh, it's not really dependent on one kind of controller. It was. Well, I, I asked that just because the N64 controller, to me, who has never actually <laughs> used one, looks different. It's intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's odd. It's been a long time since I handled it. Couldn't really say how well it felt. Um, yeah, I I think it'd probably be hard to go back and play it using the N64 controller now, but for its time, uh, control was not an issue. And, you know, there were a lot of games for N64 that did have control issues. Oh, so. yeah, yeah. The three the three DS uh, version. It's worth mentioning since there's not really a lot of great RPGs right now on the three DS. Um, and if you have a three DS like me, it was, it's one of those games you're just going to go ahead and grab. Um, it, it does feel a little stiffer on the three DS, but you kind of get used to it. It's kind of got the analog little pad on the left and. And that, that kind of works, and then you got the analog thing at the bottom, and I don't remember the exact setup, but I remember it feeling awkward to me at first, but after like the, the first dungeon, it was 95% of the way there. So it wasn't detrimental, it's just a little odd. Then you had to do with the camera control, felt a little stiff. Was it the second? No, oh, I don't remember. <laughs> <sighs> I didn't get too far in the 3DS version. I got sidetracked by other pretty bubbles. Um, anywho, so uh, there's definitely a lot of um, our uh, you know number of optional side quests, my you know things that you can do to uh, get some neat rewards or extra gold uh, and the such. Um, let's see here. There's always the hunt for extra heart containers. Yeah, the blade things are hidden all over. Uh, well, pieces of heart, nonetheless, and you have to get four of them before yeah. you actually add a container. Yeah, I don't even remember if I... I don't even think you find full hard containers out in the wild, do you? Uh, well, yeah, you don't find them out in the world, but every time uh, they are always dropped by bosses. Bosses, every yeah. Boss, every boss drops one. That's how you... So you sort of get... Uh, so you get one... You, you, you leave the first dungeon on four hearts, for example. Mm-hmm. So you, you're actually doing fairly, fairly well for life, sort of entering, like... The second, what, two thirds of the game, if you count the getting the seven sages, the sort of two thirds. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You've also got your, and of course, you got the, you got the uh, titular, whatever, however you say that word, um, the titular Ocarina of Time, right? You got it. You got that. That that thing's got like twelve songs on it. You can eventually learn that give you different abilities, allow you to teleport. Um, eventually, you can go back and forth between time with that thing, right? That's why it's called the Ocarina yeah. of Time. Yeah. yeah, basically, uh, well, to, in order to do the, the whole time uh, thing, you basically need to, uh, 
you actually have to go to the, the, the Temple of Time, which has its own warp song. Um, and you basically place the, the Master Sword back into its pedestal. And that returns you to Child Link, which you do actually have to do for one of the later dungeons, as you can only enter the, um, uh, the Spirit Temple originally as, as a child <laughs> in order to Can obtain you... a, 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 uh, an upgrade for Adult Link, which then Can allows you to, you to proceed. S- do you have to do something as Child Link for the Shadow Temple as well? Yeah, because uh, I think Child Link... Uh, isn't he the only one that can go down the well? I think it is. I, I believe so. Yeah. It was, yeah. It was something like that. Huh. Yeah, that's the only way to get the, uh, the Lens of Truth, if I remember correctly. That's right. Hmm. So you do have... There is also sort of, like, time shenanigans involved as well. <laughs> hmm. So, I mean... I personally had a bucket load of fun with this as far as, you know, the gameplay and stuff goes. Uh, would you all agree? Did you have a lot of fun too? Or did any of you find a particular aspect that maybe wasn't so fun? Other than the water temple? <laughs> uh, I Screw the this water game. Screw the water temple, seriously. <laughs> so let's touch on that for just a quick moment. What was the water temple and why is it evil? The water temple to me is kind of like I usually have a fairly decent direction sense in games like you know I, I can kind of figure out where to go vast majority of the time it was when I was younger it was the fact that the, the water temple is um like it's a it's a three dimensional change with a varying water level and I didn't like three dimensional mazes I preferred two dimensional mazes it was it was torturous. I mean, I'm looking all over. <laughs> I'm looking up. I'm looking down. It reminds me of um, I used to play um, Doom, right? Everyone's a first-person shooter, very flat game. You just went around these flat floors and shot things. And then uh, one day I played Descent. And if you know what Descent is, it's a it's a oh, shooter, Descent. but it's you're in a little spacecraft and you're going through these huge uh, space caves or space dungeons or whatever the hell they are. But they're... it was Descent was Doom in three dimensions. Yes, it was in three dimensions, and my little bunny brain could never figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I just learned that I grew up back in the '80s, and I don't do 3D thinking. So. I actually, I actually played something similar called Forsaken, which actually was on the N64. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it it just I I, I think I've actually, I've actually mellowed a lot on the water temple. I just kind of exaggerate how much I hated it for comical effect. Well, yeah, as a kid, that thing was just it was it could be torturous. It, it, torture. it, it did make you know. I, at that point, I was invested enough in the game where I wasn't going uh, to let that slow me down. <laughs> so I I just norm as most people who listen to the show enough know I hate games that make you reach for game facts and things like that. Uh, I I personally you know give them negative two points as soon as that happens but um but still, in this case you, it was pretty normal dark spire <laughs> <laughs> dark spire <laughs> um so uh but i grabbed the uh, faq got through the water temple and i think for the most part than the water temple maybe one or two other minor things i really didn't have to read uh, a fact you did have to put some time in to figure some of the stuff out though um music well, hold, let me let me just mention one thing about the uh, 3DS sure. remake involving the Water Temple. Oh yeah, so perfect. Um, so what what the 3DS remake does is, you know, there's three three different spots to raise and lower the water level in the Water Temple, which you know when you're wandering around trying to figure out where the heck to go in this 
stupid place. It's a pain in the butt to try and get to those different places. Uh-huh. So basically, the the 3DS version has like uh, colored lines pointing you to each of those, um, so that uh, whenever you need to change the water level, it's very easy to find, very direct, and that makes it infinitely. I don't want to say easier, but less annoying. More you know, efficient. it's. it's more efficient. There you go. Uh, I mean, it, it's still, you know, pain in the butt trying to figure out where to go, um, where you're supposed to go now, what level the water needs to be at. But at least you're not going to be wandering around trying to figure out where the stupid lovers to raise and lower the water are. Hmm. So if if you're looking to replay this game, uh, that would that is really the best way to do it just because if just because of that so that sounds like it would offset what tiny minor inconvenience the stiffer controls might have been giving me easier yeah. water temple <laughs> <laughs> well worth it oh phil hmm. before we go on to the music i just wanted to ask if the fight with ganon is as memorable as it was in link to the past I've already forgotten it. Um, no, I just, I, just, I don't, I don't. I, I think the fight with Ganon, uh, the fight with Ganon was one of the. Uh, I know you had to do it in Link's Awakening as well, but um, the, the 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 fight with uh, Ganondorf in uh, Ocarina of Time was had two stages. There was the the fight with Ganondorf in his in his throne room, where you spend a vast majority of the time playing tennis with him, and the other. Sort of 25% of the time shooting him in the head with light arrows. Uh-huh. And then you had to you had a timed escape sequence as, as his castle kind of fell apart. And then, uh, which also had a couple of, uh, like, forced battle encounters against Iron Knuckles, which uh, by that point you'll have fought several times during the game, and they are supremely annoying. Um, <laughs> and then over the ruins of the castle, when you think you're finally out or whatever... Um, you uh, you fight this big kind of four-legged monstrosity, um, which you mostly can defeat by rolling between his legs and slapping his tail a lot with whatever sharp-bladed objects you happen to have to hand. Hmm. Yeah, it sounds I- like it made an impression, at least. Yeah, mm. Which doesn't look like his boar pig demon form in the earlier games, it's, although it somewhat looks boarish, I guess. <laughs> it's called Ganon, as in, you know, <laughs> Ganon. Despite not looking like it. Yeah, because throughout throughout the game, he's referred to as as Ganondorf, and then he, when the when he sort of rises from the um, rises from the rubble of the castle and sort of towers over Link in this, you know, sort of draws himself up to full height. He just sort of prints the game, just prints five letters on the screen, just Ganon in all caps. Just yeah, in case like, you didn't know. <laughs> yes, yeah, like just in case you hadn't figured it out, this is the final boss. Yeah, Yeah. definitely a cool moment. Yeah, that's. I mean, it's actually touched. uh, It's it's one of the things that every other boss in the game, I think, also got effectively. um, They got introduced in the same way that characters in like a '70s kung fu film get introduced, with like (laughs) their name printed on the screen with a snappy (laughs) subtitle describing what they are. Oh, that's too funny. Um. Shoot. So, uh, oh, so music. I, I don't know all the official music information, who composed it, blah, blah, blah. I don't really care. I mean, you guys can talk about that. I'm sure our listeners care. I will tell you, though, 
it's still stuck in my head to this day. Dun 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 Oh my gosh. That's it. That's all we're gonna say about the music. We're just gonna keep humming the songs. Just listen for the next like three minutes. We're just gonna keep humming the songs. Yeah, these these songs are just I don't know. That is indeed a form of commentary. They're really awesome. They just did a fantastic job with the musical score. Well, well, then how about something that probably hasn't aged quite as well? The graphics. Uh, No, I'd actually say the graphics of. I mean, if you can get over the fact that you know the N sixty four kind of N sixty four level blockiness, I don't think they're too bad. No, they're they're fine. And again, going back to the three DS remake, they actually touched all that up so that it actually looks modern now. Very much like the PlayStation 1 games that I'm playing on my PSP, I find that when you take those blocky graphics and you shrink them down to like a two and a half inch screen, all is forgiven. You know, just, it, it, I wouldn't want <laughs> well, to play it on my 35 inch you know, plasma TV nowadays. I think my eyes would bleed. But on a 3DS screen with the 3DS effect thrown in for good measure and some touched up textures, it's not half bad. Yeah. I, and I mean, I, I, I've played it recently on Virtual Console, and it even, you know, it's not, it doesn't really bother you as much as, like, say, trying to play the original Tomb Raider on a big screen does Ooh, now. the original Tomb you know? Raider. I love it when yes. she walks on the Thor of Hammer Sensor. Bam! Oh, I used to do that over and over. I, just, I, I bring my family, hey, guys, you got to come see this. Watch what happens when this chick steps on the square. Bam! <laughs> <laughs> she becomes a nail for a huge Thor's hammer. It's absolutely anyways, a sidetrack. Uh, she just brought back uh you just brought back such good memories. How many we, we play that game just to see how she could die. Um anyway. Uh, no, it, you know, I mean I I've said I've said this before. Um I really really feel that as uh, as an industry uh, the gaming community jumped to 3D uh, too quickly most of the time when I play any game Just from that. Just a wee bit. Yeah, anytime I played a, a game from let's you know from the PlayStation One era that has that heavily relies on 3D graphics, uh, it makes me want to gouge my eyes with a stick. But uh, <laughs> you know, actually, in this one, they did uh, they did a, a fairly decent job, especially in the context of the times. And uh, I, I wouldn't go as far as to say that it holds up on a large screen these days, as I said before. But uh, you know, on the smaller screen, if you're going to play the the remake on the 3DS, I, I uh, you know, you, yeah, it's not going to you know hold up to newer 3DS games. Uh, it's still you know underneath the hood, it's still a you know a 15 year old game. But the gameplay is so awesome <laughs> that the fact that the graphics uh, you know kind of you know are a bit behind the the eight ball behind the times, uh, it just doesn't matter as much. Yeah, and I mean it's Nintendo. Who knows? They might do a nice HD update at some point. Anyway, it would be it would be uh, super awesome if they did. But uh, for now, I'll take the three D uh, the three DS deal. And those those graphics popping out do do help it a bit. Yeah, and they uh, they've actually like added a bunch of little touches to different locations of the game. You know, extra little bits of scenery and such. In addition to just cleaning up the textures. Yeah. And that does help because there were parts of it which kind of looked a little barren, you know. But but again, it's understandable because you got to understand Nintendo 64 <laughs> didn't really have a, a bucket load of memory to work with, especially yeah, it, in dealing with these huge open environments and trying to be able to process all of that. Uh, with no loading times. With no, really. Yeah. <laughs> We've got to get this N64 discussion in here because when else are we ever going to talk about it on the backtrack? <laughs> 
Uh, which, it's true. Which, 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 <laughs> Unless, of course, I decide to do a Quest 64 show. Have you already done an Ogre Battle one? That goes way back when the Mac was uh, hosting this thing. Yeah. I'm not sure how much you talked about Ogre Battle 64, though. It was mostly the March of the Black Queen on Super Nintendo. Hmm. Um, okay. Or, there, or there's Iden Chronicles. See, I can name the N64 RPGs on one hand. <laughs> oh, my. Alrighty. Well. There weren't any fire emblems on N64, were there? No, but there might. It looks like there's some, like, uh, I think there's some evidence that there might have been one, but it was never finished. Just John. like Earthbound? Yeah, basically. Like, there's hey, some shots of some unknown game, and but, you know, just never completed it, and I think they might have moved the project to the GBA. John, do you have any idea if the Nintendo 64 Super Robot Tyson is worth it while? Um, uh, the Nintendo Super Robot Super Robot Wars game is interesting in that it technically introduces a couple of um, a couple of uh, units that kind of get showing uh, in original generations. It kind of contains um, uh, like the prototypes for uh, two units that were eventually adapted uh, for the uh, Shadow Mirrors. Um, this is going off on a massive, wild I was tangent. About to say, did I miss something here? We're we talking <laughs> about. <laughs> We're going to keep it short. I'll just just to say the 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 N64 one. I don't believe um, the characters have made an appearance in any other media, and I'm not actually sure how good the game itself is because of how hard it is to obtain. But it does contain um, the uh, arc gain and the sm- the smirk, the smirk, something like that, smirk. Um, which is the prototypes for the Soul Gain and the Angel G from original generations. So it may be worth looking into just because of that. And now we return you to your regularly scheduled entertainment. (laughs) Well, uh, this was occasioned by the fact that we were talking about the Nintendo 64, which otherwise makes very, very few appearances on the RPG Backtrack for some reason. Yeah. Hmm... Yeah, couldn't 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 possibly because they just didn't have any good RPG. Anyway, um, <laughs> well, I think wait, we took... wait, 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 Paper Mario. No, yeah. oh, Paper Mario. Yeah, we did talk about that once upon a time. Yeah, yeah. that was kind of cute. Yeah, I'll give them that. Um, okay, so I think that's about everything for Ocarina of Time. Final thoughts, Mister? Anybody? <laughs> Um, amazing game, as if all the accolades it's gotten over the years haven't, you know, told you enough. Um, so play it, yeah, in whatever form you can. Even even a little aged, it's still fantastic. Okay, and um, Mr. Um, John? Um, I, I think you, I think if you like action-adventure games at all, um, I mean, even some of the more recent ones on on HD consoles. I still think you should probably play Ocarina of Time. Yeah, it's a good game. Um, it's it's absolutely positively um, one of the foundational games and, and RPG experiences out there. Um, just absolutely cannot recommend it enough. And I, I guess what's really surprising to me, uh, having grown up and, and, and had been blessed to be able to play all these different gaming systems from uh, the Commodore up through the Atari and the Nintendo and stuff, is that with the Nintendo, the Super Nintendo, and even <laughs> even the 
um, what's the word I'm looking for? The polite word. Uh, oh, what the heck. Even the terrible Nintendo 64. Um, it's every one of those. The highlight for me has been the Zelda game. It's just absolutely – just when you thought they couldn't do any better uh, than Link to the Past, uh, boy, the, the Ocarina of Time just came out. It got – I saw it got get so many perfect scores uh, in the reviews, and I played it for myself, and I saw why. It, it's just – you know, if you're any kind of retro game – retro RP gamer, and you must be if you're listening to the show, and you have not played this game, you need to run and not walk, run, find a copy of this in some way, shape, or form, whether you – is it on the virtual console? Yeah, yep. yeah. Grab it on the virtual console. Grab it for your 3DS. Grab it however you you, you can grab it on whatever system you currently have, and, and just play this because you're totally you're totally missing out on a very important part of uh, gaming history, and more importantly, on one of the finest role playing game experiences that are out there. So, uh, with that being said, we're going to let you listen to some of that music we were just bragging about, and we'll be right back. Don't touch that dial. to a different station we are going to talk about legend of zelda majora's mask developed and published by nintendo uh for your nintendo 64 system this was released in japan on april 27 2000 here in north america was it released in north america did i miss that why yes, I... it was released in North America. Yes, it was released in North America because huh. it was released in Europe as well. Must have missed it. Uh, October 26, 2000. This is a single-player action-adventure RPG experience. And this was rated E for everybody who can grab a mask. So I'm not quite sure. Did it review really poor? Why did I not get this game, guys? It, oh, it no, rev- I don't believe it didn't review poorly. It was because Majora's Mask required the uh, expansion, like the you remember the expansion pack? Yeah, pack the expansion deal. Uh-huh. Memory. Yep. The, I think only what Majora's Mask, Perfect Dark, and a couple of other games actually used. Mm. Yeah. Right. I. Yeah. I think Perfect Majora's Dark, Mask, you could actually play without it. Yeah, but only, badly. but not all modes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, whereas uh, Majora's Mask, I believe, did not run, period, if you did not have one. That is correct. Yep. Hmm. Which means that the number of people that bought it were probably substantially reduced. Well, that that would be a good reason why I might not have picked it up. Now, I did, I did get it later on as part of the uh, GameCube collection, so I do have experience with it. But I just I remember not getting that for Nintendo 64. Maybe by then I had already melted my Nintendo 64 and sold it for parts. <laughs> yeah, it did come relatively late in the N64's life. 
Okay. That was that was the year before Dream was Dreamcast out then. I, I can't even remember. I think so. I think so. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it was. I I don't think I played it myself until at least 2003. That was a friend's house. Yeah, we went out and got it immediately, so that I actually have one of those fancy gold cartridges. Ooh, Ooh Mr. Wow. Yes. Ooh, now you're now you're playing with power. Gold <laughs> cartridge power. Oh my gosh. Wow. Um okay, well let's let's first talk about the uh the plot. Uh, Majora's Mask uh is uh, supposedly supposed to occur a few months after the events in Ocarina and Time, right? Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa. There's two different endings to Ocarina. The child. Time. Let's not get into that. Yes, okay. Yes. Several months after Child Link's adventure ends. Okay. Um, And this one begins with Link searching for his uh, friend. Which... Navi. But we don't really know. Hey, we you know we didn't talk about Navi on the lash. How could we? How could we go hey, through listen. and not talk about Navi? Oh my gosh! How did we miss out on that little tidbit? Hey, listen! Oh my gosh, I think my wife—that was the only part that drove my wife crazy. Hey, listen! Why does she keep doing that for? I don't. Hey, listen! Oh my gosh. Anyway, um, she's your little helper fairy, and she kind of gives you. In the in the in Ocarina of Time, she would give Link information about the world around him, and every time he discovered a new item and held it above his head, she'd be the one to proudly state, "You can throw that boomerang and knock people upside the head," just in case you didn't know. I'm surprised. Position since Link doesn't talk. You know, it would have been actually really cool in the fight with Ganon if, like, she just spelled his name out with a light trail and just flew that on the screen. Just you know, she should have done that. That should have been all her. Anyway. Um... So, let's see. Are any of you really familiar with the story, or should I keep bumbling through it? I played it recently, so I can continue Oh, you go, girl. Okay, so Link's trying to find his friend, Navi, presumably. Uh, He's riding on his horse, Epona, and he gets... Epona gets spooked by two two fairies, and then so she runs off and and knocks him off his back, and then Link tries to find her, tries to find anybody, really, and he ends up running into a skull kid wearing a strange mask. The skull kid curses him and turns him into a Deku scrub, somehow. So, when he finally finds out it's a strange forest, he winds up in a town called Clocktown. It turns out he's not in Hyrule anymore, but some alternate world called Termina. And there, he tries, well, first he tries to get off the Deku curse, and then he finds out that um, this wearing a very powerful mask called Majora's Mask that um, is it's basically it's cursed, it's evil, and it's making him evil, and he's using it to draw the moon to Termina and will eventually crash into it in three days. Link somehow figures out that he can use the the, uh, the song of time in order to reset time whenever he needs to, back to three days before the moon crashes. So he uses this ability to go through various dungeons in order to free four giants that eventually will help to catch the moon so it doesn't crash into Dermina so he can eventually take on a skull kid with Majora's Mask because, well, he wants to save that world because he's Link, he's a hero, and I'm assuming he can't get back to Hyrule until he finishes it. So, yeah. Hmm. Well, that's exciting. Definitely a lot to take in. Yeah. Oh, let's see here. 
certainly different than your typical Legend of Zelda story. Yeah, I mean, and that's the, this is this, and let's get into the gameplay now because it's not your typical Zelda gameplay. Even though that you, you're still going to swing a sword and hit things and, and and the such, but there's a lot more to it this time around, isn't there? Oh yeah. So let's talk about uh, let's talk about the uh, let's just jump into it uh, about the uh, you mentioned the d- the destruction of the world did I miss that destruction no, of that the town or something destruction of all yeah. Tina I'm assuming right right yeah basically the the moon is going to hit the clock tower and well yeah that's that's going to end badly for people kind of thing yeah and and while um and while uh, the previous Zelda games have always had like this. You know, the dark thing where Ganon takes over and you got the dark world. This even seems more oppressive than any of those settings. Because, I mean, you can actually see the thing up in the sky, remember, if yeah, I remember the, correctly. The moon, the, moon will, the moon always looms over, effectively, the central town and can be visible from anywhere in the world. Or anywhere in the really game world. face. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with this extremely creepy face. And obviously, as, as, the time, and t- as time moves closer and closer to the... Uh, uh, closer and closer to the fated, uh, the fated time, as it were. Uh, the moon obviously moves closer, and you get these big booming title cards that say like "Dawn of the Third Day" and stuff like that. And how many hours it's going to be until? Moon yeah, Wait, and I mean it's weird because, um, like everyone else on, like almost everybody else on Termina, uh, kind of, um, sort of almost doesn't give a crap. There are a couple of NPCs <laughs> that do. Hey, what's that big thing up? Oh well, <laughs> because they're, they're, the moon is going to crash on the eve of the big—I can't remember the name of the festival itself—but it's mm-hmm. going to crash on on when this festival starts, which also coincides with the opening of the clock tower, which allows you to actually go up and face Skulkit, which is kind of important. Um, and one of the things I—one of the things I actually really like um, with regards to Majora's Mask is. In Clock Town itself, um, it actually the game itself actually changes the musical cues ever so slightly in Clock Town as you get closer and closer to um, the, you know, the the moon falling. Like in uh, on the first day, uh, it, it's a generally quite happy theme, but by the third day, there's a there's a happy theme going, and then it just kind of plays this kind of like effectively like a kind of creepy undercurrent to the moon uh, to the, you know to the to the music, which suggests that you know the moon is getting pretty damn close at this point, and it's it's really quite sinister, actually. The the, the music in this frenetic. game, yeah, it's very frantic. Yeah, the the music in this game just does such a fantastic job of setting the tone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if 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 it's quite as memorable as Ocarina of Time, but as far as uh, some unsettling music, it's it does a top notch job. Yeah. Oh, I think um, uh, Majora's Mask. I think has my second favorite uh, second favorite theme in the game, which is the one used for um, the Stone Tower Temple. Uh, my favorite being um, Dragon Roost Island from Wind Waker, but that's a pretty hard one to beat. Okay, so um, so there's also some some game some pretty big gameplay differences here. Now we've already talked about the formula in Ocarina of Time, which aside from the three the, the strong three D mechanics, since they made that shift to three D, which were really necessary, 
uh, to uh, to pull that whole thing off. There, there. I don't. I don't really think there was like huge fundamental gameplay uh, differences. But Majora's Mask <laughs> is a very big deviation, not only from its predecessors, but even from its successors. Uh, number one, you have the mask. So who would like to talk about the mask and what they do? Uh, I can talk about it. All right. Uh, so there's, I believe there's three different masks you get for the different major races in Hyrule. Uh, so obviously we already talked about the, the, the Deku one. Uh, which turns you into one of those plant creatures. Turns uh, you into a Deku scrub. Deku scrub. Deku scrub, yes. Uh, and there's one that turns you into, what are the rock eyes called? Gorons. Gorons, yes. And that, which has its own set of abilities. And, then, and the, last, the, the last one being the Zora. Yes, which, you know, lets you swim underwater and things like that. So, um,. Those each of those masks have their own types of attacks and some additional abilities. And in addition to the you know the usual tools that uh, Link gets, and there's also some optional and other uh, less powerful masks you could find throughout the game. Like there's uh, there's just like a little bunny ear thing you can get that makes you run faster, for example. Yeah, there's the blast, uh, there's mask, the... which is uh, basically acts like a bomb without you having to use a bomb, though you'll get damage in the process. Uh, there's... there's the stone mask, which renders you invisible. Uh, I don't remember that one. The stone, because uh, one the stone mask is one of the harder ones to get, um, because you need to use because uh, the lens of truth appears in this one as well, which allows you to see through its invisible effects, and you find a, a soldier who's kind of involunt almost involuntarily wearing it. Um, and in order to, you kind of, um, you, you gain the mask off him, uh, and that allows you to effectively turn invisible. Um, I, I, I can't remember, because there's a point in which you have to, to sneak into, um, a pirate fortress, which is patterned similarly to the, uh, Gerudo fortress from Ocarina of Time. And, um, if you have the stone mask, which I think you can get by that point, um, you can basically just, it, it, it's like a stealth-based mission, but if you have the stone mask, it's really, really easy. <laughs> they can't see you. It just renders you completely invisible. Hmm. Now, um... Oh, did uh, anyone get a fierce deity mask? Uh, did we cover that? Since that's sort of like the special mask you get for getting the other masks? Yeah, basically, yes. um, the reward for getting for getting all of the masks is... One that basically allows you to kill the final boss in about ten seconds flat. Okay. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about the uh, the time mechanic. Google. You've got three days to live, and each one lasts about fifty-four minutes. Although you can manipulate that, you, you can play the inverted song of time to make time go like twice, like that's half it, that's half the speed. I think that it normally would yeah. go. Yeah. And if you wanted to get to a particular day or particular time, double song of time to make it go faster. Because certain events, like for quests or for if you want to access a certain mini game or what have you, you might want to go to a particular time at a particular day. So that's always useful. Yeah, because uh, basically the the, the, the plot, the, all of the plot NPCs kind of follow a um, 
like a schedule. Um, and their events will always um, – if, if Link doesn't – effectively doesn't intervene in their affairs, is um, each, in each loop of the three days, they will always do the same actions at the same time every day. And uh, that stuff only changes if Link actually kind of gets involved and does particular side quests. And um, although one, that the the changes that you affect on the to these NPCs um, effectively um, only happen for that particular cycle. So once you restart. Um, you know, once you restart using the Song of Time, they go back to their regular schedules, and you kind of have to do do. You know, if you, there's a side quest you didn't finish during one cycle, you're going to have to kind of like start again. Yeah. Hmm. So also, uh, when you restart, you lose any um, like disposable items, like bombs and arrows and acoustics and such, and you lose any rupees on you. To counteract this, you can store your rupees at a bank. And somehow, even though you reset time, Baker <laughs> remembers exactly how much you put in there. I don't even try. I'm trying not to think about how that works exactly. But uh, just just call the time traveling bank. Okay. There you go. <laughs> hmm. Well, your life may be fleeting, but money is forever. <laughs> Shoot. So, what did y'all think of the um, of these different mechanics? What was your imp- impression today? Did they add to the formula that was already there? Was it a welcome addition, or did it detract I, from the experience? I actually like Majora's Mask more than Ocarina of Time, because I I really liked the mask mechanic and all of the neat stuff that it adds to the game. Like, playing as Zora Link or Goron Link is completely different to playing as regular Link, particularly since uh, Link is locked to Child Link in this game. Yeah, and I, th- I think this game has some of the best dungeons in the entire series, which is kind of a shame because there aren't that many of them. But yeah, there's what four major dungeons? Four, five? yeah, four. four. The four giants. Yeah, and they're completely fantastic. <laughs> but yeah, I just wish there were more of them. Yeah, Majora's Mask's version of the Water Temple is probably a lot better than the Ocarina of Time version. Yeah, oh, that dungeon is just fantastic. And, um, you know, the, my one major disappointment with this, with, this, with this game is after, you know, you finally go for the confrontation with uh, the Skull Kid, I was expecting there'd be some kind of dungeon at the end, and there wasn't. And that, you know, I was really no, hoping for yeah, some kind of cool you, final dungeon. Yeah, all you get is, like, uh, four mini dungeons, I think it is. Yeah. Just, yeah. That's about it. It's, that's it. Otherwise, you can only get those if uh, you can only unlock those if you have. Well, you need a lot of masks. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Um. So I I didn't play that far into it, so I'm just gonna go with what you guys are saying there. <laughs> Sounds like a fun game, right? Sounds like people should go out and play. Now the only the only now is that on Virtual Console? Yeah, it's on yes. Virtual. That's how I played it. That's probably the way to grab it, then. I mean, I know you. I know it's on the GameCube uh, collector disc that I have, but I'm pretty sure that's kind of. Let me just check uh, eBay real fast. But I'm pretty sure that's still on the high side, like 35, 40 bucks. That's probably a lot cheaper just to grab, 
grab those games unless you're just dying for all of them on a disc. Uh, let's see here. Zelda collection something or other. Yeah, since this game used the expansion pack, its graphics have aged a little better than Ocarina of Time. They have a little higher quality to them. Not that much, but um, you know, it just look, it looks it's aged a fair bit better. Hmm. Well, let's see. Oh, yeah, Nintendo. Uh, let's see. The 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 collector's edition disc is going. Uh, it's about yeah. It's like I said, it's about forty bucks. Hasn't changed much. Uh, and that, but that game that that is the uh, the GameCube disc that has um, Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time, uh, Majora's Mask. It's got uh, Zelda one and two, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, let's see, Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, Emily version, Zelda one and Zelda two from the Nintendo days. Oddly enough, it didn't have it didn't have the one in the middle. It didn't have um, Link to the Past. Weird. <laughs> Huh. Oh well, there's plenty of ways to play GBA. that one. It did have the GBA remake at the time. Maybe they wanted that to sell more. Like, uh, well, that's a silly reason. How rude. Hmm. <sighs> oh well. Let's see. What if what if somebody actually still had a Nintendo 64? Ah, you can get that Majora's Mask for about thirty-five dollars used. Well, get the collector's disc. It has all the games. Or um, you can get it. Oh, someone's still selling it brand new for about fifty bucks. Complete collector's edition with gold holographic cartridge in its original oh. box for fifty bucks. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, those are nice. like new. It's still not in the shrink. It's not in the shrink wrap, though. I will tell you that gold gold cartridge is very nice. Ah, go for the gold. Alrighty. Any other uh, final comments before we move on? Yes. Go for um, it. When you have the chance, Google Haunted Majora's Mask. I'm not going to say anything more about that. Just find that, and there you go. There you go. Anybody else? Uh, I, was, I was actually just going to add just another, uh, another point piece, pointless trivia. Um, Link himself, even though he doesn't really say a lot, is voiced by one of my favorite Japanese voice actors. Um, uh, Nobuyuki Hiyama, who is known as the King of Braves, who provides some epic screaming to to go for Link's voice. <laughs> and now you know. Now you know, and knowing is half the battle. And all Yay! G.I. Joe! Indeed. Uh, another random note. Uh, Link is accompanied by a fairy named Tattle in this one, but she doesn't talk. She sounds like a bicycle bell. <laughs> 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 hmm. uh, isn't uh, isn't Tattle generally a little bit more uh, like snarky than Abby was? Yeah, she's certainly yes. a little more surly. Has a bit of a she doesn't like Link at first, then but she kind of but she actually over time kind of like apologizes to him for scare spooking her, his horse and such. So she's got a bit more personality than uh, Navi did. Yeah, because uh, I mean, because uh, Tattle has a has a sister, which Skull Kid has a brother, Hale. Brother, yeah. Brother, sister, one Haha. Uh-huh. Yeah. <sighs> mm. oh. Oh, one, fi- one final warning about this game we should probably tell people is if you're used to the easier Zeldas, this one is definitely on the harder side. I think keep you... that in mind. 
Yes, yeah, some FAQ. of some of the hard yeah some of the harder masks may require an FAQ because I, I, the, I think the one that really kills everyone is the wedding mask, which because that one is it's a it's a you know massively long a side quest that takes I think all three uh, requires events on all three days. So to, if you miss one, you pre- pretty much have to start over, right? Yeah, the and there's um, there is a time. I believe on the on the final day, there is a time like a timed dungeon sequence that you have. If you if you screw up, you basically have to repeat the entire the entire subquest from the start. Uh, well, that doesn't sound happy. <laughs> but then again, how, how much of a time most- commitment is that? Quite a while. Although it's generally you only need to do it if you are going for a, like a full mask completion run. You know, you and is that, it's it's is not that required. An, okay. Yeah, it's it's not really necessary. Yeah. All you, all you, I say, all you really get for 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 getting every mask is the fierce deities mask, which basically turns you into a massively overpowered version of Adult Link, who wields a huge two-handed sword and fires. Like these massive laser discs at anything, but you can only use it during boss fights. Hmm. Only bosses. Yeah. yeah, but it does make the bosses extremely easy. As I would expect. Yeah, but yeah, you know, in order to get that, you are basically doing like a one hundred percent clear of the game, which is extremely difficult. Hmm. If Nintendo had made this game a few years later, well, if another company had made this game a few years later, that would have been achievement bait. Yep. yep. Oh, yeah. Okay. Alrighty. Well, we're going to take another team. Oh, and before... I should also mention that this got another Platinum Award from EGM, which meant straight tens from the reviewers. Yeah, I, 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 I feel well. like going to play it actually, and I need to try and see if I can dig out a copy of it somewhere. Yeah, t- bo- both of these N64 games, you know, some games maybe we could say were overrated a little bit. These games deserve the accolades. Now, okay, prognostication, people: Is Nintendo going to give this a 3DS port too? Hopefully, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Yeah, we know, we know we're not going to hear anything about it until it happens. This being Nintendo, I personally, I'd rather see them make a new Zelda for 3DS, but that would certainly be a nice, easy Wait, cash in. A new Zelda? I don't know, man. Hmm. Before the, before all the potential easy money has been milked, I don't see it happening. I can dream. You can dream, yes. Alrighty. Well, we have delayed long enough. Let's put on some nice soothing music. And we will be right back to talk about another Zelda. Yeah.
Okay, we're going to talk about Legend of Zelda, Oracle of Seasons. Or is it Oracle of... Now, now somebody before the show told assured me that, Phil, because I said, this is just like Pokemon Black and White. It's the same game, probably, but with a couple of different set of Octoroks, you have you know, little crawling squirrels or something. They said, no, no, Phil, these are two completely different games. And yet, when I go to the ever-so-reliable sources at Wikipedia, they've what? got they've got both games listed as one entry. See? Well... But, I, I, but, I'm telling you, they're the same game. Well, they're they not. were released at the same time, but Phil, they were developed by Capcom. Ooh. Dun, dun, dun. Well, funny, for some reason it says flagship here. Is that like a division of Capcom? I think yes, because I distinctly remember them being developed by Capcom yeah, when I, I read about them at the time. <laughs> okay, so we have, uh, yeah, Oracle of Seasons, Oracle of Ages, uh, published by Nintendo. This was released in uh, th- these were released in Japan on February 27, 2001. Later on here in North America on May 14, 2001. These are single player action adventure interlocking RPGs for your Game Boy Color system, and they are rated E for everyone or E for equally alike. Is this no, true? Oh no! no. Oh that. okay, because I don't know. I am just I'm just reading it the way it says. Well, Phil, (laughs) go ahead, Cassandra. You've actually played them. Uh, Okay. So, what the deal with these games is that they are two separate games, but you know they use this—you know—they use the same engine and whatnot. They take place in two separate um, countries, not Hyrule, but uh, it even takes place in uh, Hodrum, I think, Mm -hmm. and. Oracle uh, and Ages takes place in the one whose name escapes me currently, but they're not the you know it's not Hyrule, and uh, they have different they have different uh, like main villains. They've got different plots, different uh, NPCs. The plots, however, interlock because if you enter a actually there are some hints during the main game itself that there is somebody behind the main villains of the game, but if you beat one game. You get a password. I think you can also use the Game Boy Link to do this a, a bit easier without having to enter in a password. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you can use the Unfortunately, Game Boy I, I could do that myself because I lost regular Game Boy Links a long time ago. But anyway. How long uh, is the I, password? I think uh, you can do it using a Game Boy Advance Link. No, I tried that. It didn't work. It didn't work? No. no. I was using two Game Boy Advances. I think I remember that, that similarly not working when I tried with that with like you know Pokemon Red and Gold games or something. But anyway... You enter the password, and you can, on the other game, you can enter, they can play a, a sort of a extended game of that version. Like, say I completed Ages, and then I sent the password to an Ages of Oracle of Seasons. And the Seasons, it seems to imply that the game, it takes place right after the events of Ages. In fact, some of the, you meet Impa, who is trying to protect the Oracle Din from being kidnapped by the villain, a, 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 like a man named General Onyx, who wants to capture her for some nefarious purpose because he wants to throw the seasons into disarray and create a world of darkness or something like that. So there's like extended scenes there. Then you find you get some hints that the uh, two villains are, what are they? They're Koume and Kotake, the uh, two Gerudo witches from Ocarina of Time. Although I'm assuming they're like ancestors, they're like descendants or something, however this timeline nonsense works. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> but regardless, you never know. 
the the Game Boy games always seem to mess with the timelines a lot because there's, there's no way to properly figure out where the heck they're supposed to be. Well, according to the official timeline, they take place in the Decline era and happen before Link's Awakening, but after A Link to the Past. But, oh my god, that gives me a headache. <laughs> but, okay, just trying to get back to that. Um, what was I? Darn it, I'm losing my train of thought here. Okay, so in, yeah, so that's what's happening in Seasons. The General Onyx wants to throw Season Disarray in Ages. A sorceress named Varen wants to control time so she can rule over that kingdom and probably the world, too. As it turns out, though, they are both working for the, the witches and, uh, because they want to light these flames of despair and anguish and hopelessness with the chaos they're creating so they can revive Ganon. And uh, so they, because the the sort the, the villains, even though they're defeated by links, do manage to do some do do some damage. And if you play an extended game, at the end of it, uh, you get to fu- face those two witches. And even though their their full ceremony is stopped because they managed to kidnap Zelda, she pops up trying to help things out, but well, it makes things worse because they give her the event they they can capture her that way. But she isn't sacrificed, so instead the witches sacrifice themselves, but bring back a mindless uh, sort of zombie Ganon, if you will. He just just attacks them, so you fight him off, and then you beat the true, battle, the true boss of the game. Zombo Ganon. Well, I don't know. It's just, I don't think he's necessarily a zombie, but you know, he's resurrected, and he's mindless. Yeah. What else to call him? <laughs> Let's but, call yeah. him Zombo Ganon. Okay, Zombo Ganon. the heck of it. On a random note, I, there's some artwork, like some leftover artwork that shows like a Oracle's version of Ganondorf, but they never used it. That could have been interesting to see that and play it in the game somehow. Uh, wait, Cassandra, wasn't this yeah. originally planned to be three games? Yes, there was supposed to be a yes. third game, but it was too complicated to figure out linking three games, so they scrapped the third game and just made it two. Yeah, I think one of them was actually supposed to be a remake of the original Legend of Zelda or something like that. <laughs> As I recall, the, the game, the two games were originally supposed to be an enhanced remake. Then somebody said, "No, let's make these three new games that interlock." And then somebody else said, "That's a little too complicated. Let's just cut it down to two. Yeah, I yeah. think there's some of the bosses from the original Legend of Zelda in, I think, seasons. Yeah, and one area even looks a lot like the uh, first, you know, the first dungeon of the game. And inside is Aquamentis, whatever that dragon thing is. Yeah. So you can see some hints of that, but just hints. They're, they're still completely new. Well, putting two games together that you had to link with Game Boy cables was still pretty ambitious for, what was this, 2000? Yeah, but some the misconceptions that people have is that there are two incomplete games. They're not. You can completely play oh, them. No. <laughs> you can completely play these without at all having to do the linking, but it's just that if you happen to know somebody with the other version... Or if you bought both games, you can just get a sort of an enhanced version, an extended version of that game, if you will. That's all. Cool. So, how was the how was the uh, the game design? It looks so very. It looks pretty much identical. The Link's Awakening, even some of the uh, music seems to come right from there, even though this was developed by Capcom. I'm sure Nintendo made the source material available for a very brief time and then promptly took it back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, 
mean, it's got, you've got the various tools. It's done, I mean, some of the, like, the way that it's designed, it seems to take a lot of cues from Ocarina of Time and um, Majora's Mask, where it could. The newer races are in these games, you know, the uh, Deku Scrubs, the, the, the um, Gorons and the Zoras, which is kind of odd because they have the older Zoras in this game, too. And, uh, like, yeah. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> I lost my train of thought there. Yeah, so, um... It's obviously, based on the names, each of these games has their own kind of key gimmick or mechanic, if you want to call it. Uh, uh, seasons lets you change the seasons in various locations, uh, which does things like freeze lakes or cover an area with fallen leaves, different things like that. And obviously, I think... Uh, I haven't played... Ages lets you travel between two different time periods. The yes, uh, I was trying to remember if it was two or three time periods. I thought it was just it's two. two. It's just two. Okay. And at some point in the past, which looks virtually identical technology-wise to the present, other than various changes. <laughs> so that's sort of, kind of, you know, it's kind of similar to Ocarina of Time in that aspect. Except, yeah. you know, it's hundreds of years or 100 years or something instead of seven. So yeah, the, like in that one, you have to travel two times because maybe in the past, some, like a tr- like a giant tree was a little smaller, or maybe you have to wait for something to grow very quickly. So you have to travel back into the future, into the present. That is, and yeah. So use that to solve puzzles and such. Yeah, so largely, those mechanics are used for getting around the overworld and getting to the the different dungeons, which the the the, the dungeons were quite good. If I remember well, I have I have never completed ages, but I completed seasons, and uh, you know, I'd say they're on par, if not better, than the dungeons in Link's Awakening. They were pretty good. They were. Yeah, uh, I don't think the games overall are as good as Link's Awakening, but uh, they definitely come close. I'm trying to remember what kind of additional weapons and stuff they that weren't just directly imported from Link's Awakening. Well, they had those the seeds was like it's a new sort of a new mechanic. That's here. right. They had they had various seeds that did different abilities. They had ember seeds to light things on fire. The gale seeds, I think they were called. You used you could mostly use them to warp to different er- areas on the map, which was very useful for getting around. You could also use them as like on enemies, I think. They had the Pegasus Seeds, which worked like Pegasus Boots in earlier games, made Link run faster. Um, the Scent Seeds, which were supposed to draw moths to him, but they rarely seem to work, and you rarely <laughs> And uh, the Mystery Seeds, I think they were called, which had random various effects, plus um, the, the, the Oracle of Seed Ages villain, Varen, was vulnerable to them for some reason. <laughs> You can, and both games had a different way of being able to fire the seeds. Ages had like a like a sh- like a pop gun of suns to angle them at, but it, seasons just had a uh, slingshot to fire them where you needed to go. Both games had like, like similar like items or like we'll get to the items a little bit here. I mean, both games had shared some items like the uh, the rock feather for jumping, but there some slightly different ones like the aforementioned pop gun or and the uh, slingshot and or others like had got an upgrade where the other didn't. For instance, the in seasons the rock feather could be upgraded to the rock cape, which allowed you to float for a very short amount of time to cross large gaps. 
while Oracle of Ages had an upgraded um, power bracelet called the Power Gauntlet, I think, which allowed you to pick up much larger objects than you could before. Which isn't quite as fun. Yeah. As the cape. That's true, yeah. (laughs) Oh, and a random neat thing. Aside from the passwords to get the extended game, you also could change passwords back and forth as you played the new game, like the new game plus type deal, if you will. In order to get much better upgrades than you did previously, you could get, for instance, the Master Sword, whereas without the Link game, you could only get up to the Noble Sword. You could get a uh, you could get one extra heart piece of heart like not piece of heart a heart container that you never could without it. You got a bigger bomb bag, got the capability to hold more seeds, and so on. Not necessary, but useful. And that Master Sword is very useful against the. Uh, that, like the last boss of Seasons, which is the Dark Dragon. Terribly difficult without it. And pretty useful against Ganon and uh, the Witches as well. Any other uh, thoughts about these duo of games? I played Leaks Awakening, so I'm really much more familiar with that particular title. I never got around to these two. The little time I spent with them, that was the first thing I thought was, wait, this is just like Leaks Awakening. <laughs> <laughs> Similar, yes, for sure. There's yeah. just a random well, note. well, the Game Boy hardware just didn't change all that much over the years. Even with the color. <laughs> oh, I almost forgot there were the different monsters you could ride. Oh, yeah, the three animals, uh, friends. Yeah, I almost completely forgot about that. It was Ricky, the kangaroo, Dimitri, the dodongo, and Moosh, I think, the flying bear. You get to ride on a dodongo? Cool. Yeah, you get to ride, and you, he goes up waterfalls and crosses treacherous waters and such. Ricky, being a kangaroo, can punch things and jump large gaps. And Moosh, well, he floats, because those tiny wings can somehow lift his ponderous body. <laughs> but you, only, you, you, you met all three during both games, but you could only keep one of them, because you got a special whistle, which allows you to summon one of them. You don't need them to pass either, either of these animals to pass either games, but it's kind of fun to call them back later. I, I like the Dodongo, since that lets me cross through water a little quicker. Hmm. And uh, just on a slightly random, like, odd note, uh, there is... Actually, this also goes back to Majora's Mask, too. As um, part of the trading mini uh, sequence in... It was an Oracle of Ages, I believe. You had... You found a uh, disem- like the disembodied hand in an outhouse asking you for toilet paper. You had to get somebody's <laughs> letter and give it to the ghostly hand, and it would give you the next um, item in a trading sequence. This apparently comes from a. This came. This did came from a Conjurer's Mask, in which um, there was another ghostly hand in a bathroom asking you for paper. And if you gave it paper, it would give you some sort of prize, a piece of heart. I. And it, it's a later game. I don't know. If, uh, it actually this appears in uh, Skyward Sword too, as a kind of fun little uh, throwback to both of these. And I find that hilarious. It's just like, oh wow, it's that ghost hand again asking for toilet paper. Hmm. Okay. Well, uh, so your final thoughts. Sounds like something people should go out and get. Let's see if we can even find it. <laughs> is it on any? Is it on virtual, like on the DS, 3DS, or anything like that? I think we'd get on the 3DS virtual console before this podcast. It didn't, so I ended up picking up both games. Uh, let's... I, I'd imagine it'll show up there eventually. Yeah, probably, but it's not yet. Yeah. How rude. Jeez. How Nintendo? <laughs> How Nintendo? Hey, wait a minute. Do I do I own those games? Well, let's take a look first to see if it's on. Uh, let's see, Oracles. 
Yeah, let's just do that. Legend of Zelda, Oracle of Doohickeys. Uh, looks <laughs> like they're going for about 20 bucks each. Whoa, someone's got one brand new for 150 Nice. Yeah, well, actually most of them are actually in the 25 range. I managed to pick up my copies for a little under 20 both, 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 not both for under 20 but each individually for under 20 so I guess I lucked out there is a there is an acceptable I put that in quotation marks an acceptable copy for 15.99 I think the sticker is messed up on the cartridge so if you can lower your standards a little bit you can save <laughs> a few bucks there uh, huh. now let's see here I've got Nope, I've got Ocarina of Time and Minish Cap. Uh, Leaks Awakening DX. Four Swords. And I got everything but those. How rude. Oh, well. No Ocarinas of Doohickeys for me. I, I used to have it at one point, but I think um, those are... Those being uh, Game Boy Color games. Don't I don't even think those... Do those work in... Yeah, they don't yep. work in the DS. <laughs> no, they don't. Yeah. That's why I don't have it. If it doesn't work in the DS, I don't. I don't have it because I I got tired of trying to see the Game Boy Advance screen, and it just it, it, my eyes were not enjoying that experience. I even tried buying another one, and it's just I'm I'm too spoiled by the DS now. So I'll go as far back as Game Game Boy Advance games because that's what's supported on the uh, original DS Lite, but. Um, I don't. I don't generally go back further than that unless it's uh, unless it's on the virtual console. Though I do have a number of older games, so hopefully they'll come out with that. Actually, I think I think I might even have Link's Awakening on the 3DS. Yes, they have Link's Awakening on the 3DS. Just the Oracle games that aren't on there yet. Yeah, or maybe it's a thing with Capcom. Do you think sure. that would make it harder because it's in conjunction with Capcom? Would that make it harder for them to be able to re-release so. that? You know, I don't know. It's I just figured it hasn't been enough time yet. They just want to space these out a little more. We'll see. Yeah. All right. Well, fair enough. If you got if you got your uh, game original Game Boy Advance, you should be able to play color games, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It will. Yes. Yeah, so if you got Game Boy Advance, or you happen to have a Game Boy Color laying around, you might want to check those guys out. And in the meantime, while you're doing that, we're gonna take a teeny tiny leap. A teeny tiny break, and we'll be right back after these commercial messages.
And we are back! Welcome back to RPG Backtrack number 75. We are continuing with our Blast from the Recent Past segment. This is the uh, segment of the show where we talk about a game that came out about two years ago. Sometimes more than one game, but we're just going to limit it to one today. And that one game is Arc Rise Fantasia. Arc Rise Fantasia came out on the Nintendo Wii uh, here in North America on July 20th, 2010, which puts it about uh, one year and 355 days. But who's counting? Um, this was developed by Emi Poach and Marvelous Entertainment, published here in North America by Ignition Entertainment. And uh, this is a single-player RPG experience rated T for terrifically awesome as long as you don't listen to people talk and this was distributed on a wii optical disc i, I just had to read that because it's a wii op it's not a cd it's not a dvd rom it's a wii optical disc awesome oh proprietary formats how we love you <laughs> right and and i have played this game for 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 quite a bit i do need to go back and beat it but i put i have sunk a substantial amount of time into this game and our very own cassandra ramos has actually beaten it and reviewed it for RP Gamer. Mm-hmm. And Cassandra and I, I think we're going to share some very similar sentiments on this. So I'm going to let her go ahead and talk about the game for a bit. Uh, should I get into the story, I guess? or Go right ahead. Whatever floats your boat. Okay. Uh, in Arkwright's Fantasia, your main character is Lark Bright Lagoon. Kind of a uh, longish name there. Um, he is a mercenary for the de- for uh, that is it, the Meridian Empire, and his one of his missions. He's on a what they call it's basically an airship, but they call it a light ship in this world for some reason. And he has to fight off a flock of um, dragons called fell dragons because if these things uh, die, they explode and create a whole bunch of toxic poison, and that's not a good thing. No, not good. As he's, as he's fighting one, he falls off the flagship, off the uh, light ship, and with a fell dragon that he killed, and is almost caught up in the explosion when a girl named Riffia sings a song and manages to quell the dragon and stop it from exploding. So he's grateful to her for, sa- for saving him, although he quickly finds out that she's terribly, not, terribly naive and apparently has been living in a bomb shelter for her entire life because she has no idea about certain things. She has never been to the area and... Uh, I think it's a. I think it was a, a, a dubbing flub though, where she doesn't even know what a girl is. But I understand that it wasn't the original script. But anyway, he decides to help her out by taking her to where she wants to go. She's trying to get to the to uh, Jada, a major city in the on the Meridian Empire. As he tags along with her, he eventually finds out that she is a uh, a diva, which is a priestess of a rival of a of a neighboring rival um, kingdom, the Republic of. And the name escapes me right now, but anyway, and uh, she's on a quest to try to find the child of Issa, a sort of um, a, like a special individual who will lead the world towards one of two philosophical religious um, ideas, real or imaginal. And what do you know, Lark is one of these, <laughs> and so he has to he has to pick one of those. He unintentionally picks um, uh, imaginal, which is the continued survival of the human species. He doesn't find out till later what this fully entails. So he has to travel with Riffia because the world will eventually be destroyed by the whole pollution which is creeping up. But uh, it's, 
actually gets terribly complicated. And as I understand it, we can't go into spoilers too much on these um, last readings of past things anyway. But uh, even though the story might have like elements of familiarity, it takes some very interesting turns later on. And it's actually fascinating in that there is no one main villain in this game. There's a final boss, to be sure, and somebody who's kind of been pulling the strings the whole time. But for the most part, there is no one major villain. It's just the characters trying to you know, find a way for, like, to find a sort of a, a resolution, if you will. Again, trying to get too much to, it, it's too much information here. So, um, again, very interesting storyline, even though you've got all sorts of cliches and tropes in it. They're played very well, especially when you when later on in the game. Hmm. Now, everything you just said, I had totally forgotten. Even though I just played this game like a year ago. Because I really suck when it comes to, to knowing the story, remembering story. People know me, know I... Unless the game really, really stands out, like Final Fantasy VI... <laughs> Anyway, uh, then then I don't tend to remember too many too many uh, uh, details. But uh, and I so but I, from what I understand, Cassandra, mm-hmm. a lot of people complained about the localization, and they have every right to. <laughs> Why is that, Cassandra? Because ignition. Uh, par- it's, here's the backstory to this game in North America. Very shortly after it was announced in Japan, Xseed announced that they would bring it over to North America. I was actually kind of interested by this because I thought, because Image Epoch, the developer of this game, also did the Luminous Arc games. So I thought for sure that Atlas would be announcing this eventually. And apparently not XE picked it up first. Uh, whatever. I, as I understand, you know, they're pretty good. Um, possibly on par with Atlas. I actually haven't played any XE games, even though I own a bunch of them by now. But anyway, so I was terribly excited because it, it, this game basically has, you know, the Luminous Arc um, uh, developers, but it also has various um, members that worked on the Tales games, and it had some Tales elements in it, like skits, although they call them party chats in this game. So I was just like, you know, it's kind of, it was like a dream come true, except I never had this dream before. It's like Luminous Arc Tales, wow, with a, turn, like a, with a turn-based combat system that really changes things up. But anyway, so then, you know, months passed, and no word on it from Xseed came. And then later, um, Ignition Entertainment announced that they would be uh, releasing Arkwright's Fantasia, and this just made everybody, you know, I, 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 pretty, I think my heart pretty much sank when I heard that since they had uh, released, since they had released, um, when had they released? They were, I think they just recently released Muramasa, the Demon Blade around that time, which has a very questionable localization. So I was just like, oh my goodness, why did these people get their hands on it? I, I, pretty much, I begged and pleaded whatever would listen to me that they you know, let somebody competent do this. And then, you know, when the game finally came out because it was delayed a few times. And, well, people already knew it ahead of time because they had, like, trailers and such featuring the voice acting, which was just awful. And when you got the hands on the game, uh, you, the script, the, the, like, the uh, localized script wasn't terrible, terrible. Some parts of it were terribly awkward, and there were even a few odd grammar errors here and there it was a little it's a bit on the bland side and i'm sure you know Xseed or atlas would have done a better job but the voice acting is what everybody remembers and again for good reason as i understand it they used um they used people living in japan these were either native speakers of japanese in fact riffia and i think another major character adele are probably japanese actors because they don't sound native like native speakers of english 
or people who live in Japan as actors, but, for, but they're from other, but they're from America or some other country, speak English, and uh, they probably use a, I think they use a Japanese voice director, so and they probably didn't have didn't know English well enough to really direct it, so it just came out sounding terribly awkward, and quite bad. It gets better later on, and a, a handful of characters sound really decent almost i'd even argue like two of them like two best ones are actually pretty good uh, especially one of the villain characters but uh overall i mean it, this game has some terrible acting but it, this shouldn't turn you off the game it shouldn't because they're pl- got plenty more going for it <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know that's uh, that's absolutely true um because Oh boy, let's talk about the gameplay for a minute, and oh, yeah. and uh, you know I'll wrap it up. I'll, I'll I'll give you the abbreviated version, and Cassandra will undoubtedly be able to go into a lot more detail about you know about the uh, about the structure and and the various details of how characters can be more powerful and level up and that sort of thing. But I'll, I'll wrap this up, and that is people who've listened to the show know that I I am I am kind of over the JRP genre as a whole. Because in many of these JRPG games, they are very simplistic. There's a, la- a, a severe lack of strategy. You basically got three of your heroes against three of the enemies, and it's attack, attack, heal. And as long as you do that, attack, attack, heal, you can practically go to sleep. And if the monsters get too tough, it, strategy won't save your day. You just need to go grind more because there's they don't have very many abilities, and there's just not a whole lot there. And, and to compound it, it's very deliberately paced. Now this wouldn't be so bad, except I've been in this. I've been doing this for a long time, and it's pretty sad when after 20 years these things still feel the same. That's why I'm not a, a big, huge fan of Dragon Quest IX. I'm sorry, I'm not. It just felt like you know more of the same to me, which is okay for some people. It's not for me because I'm too old and cranky. But Arcrise Fantasia takes takes a lot of what I feel makes JRPGs kind of slow methodical and and boring and just totally freshens it up to the 21st century the battles are fast paced they're quick you do have to pay attention to battlefield positioning and what's going on uh but it just it just it just moves so quick you get in you beat the bad guys and you get out and 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 on the tougher fights instead of just grinding winning the day you just need to pay attention to what the hell you're doing uh, because the spells and everything, they, they do have uh, area effects, and where you're at's important. So uh, I, that's all I'm going to say is I just love the battle system so much, and it's it, at, at its core, it's a JRPG. At its core, you've got pretty much the same basic options. There's some more depth there. The battlefield positioning helps, uh, and the speed definitely helps. But underneath it all, it's really just a JRPG, just like any of the other games, that I would normally bellyache and complain about. But it feels like it was made for the 21st century gamer, and the fact that it's 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 more it's more it's faster paced and it's more strategic. It doesn't go overboard like let's say Final, like many people feel that Final Fantasy 14 does. Is it 14? Yeah, <laughs> the one with the weird. Is it 14? No, 13. Third? Is it 13? Gosh, dang it. MMO, so maybe you're thinking. Oh, 13, 13, yeah. So with 13, that one's so fast, and you don't even give really, for the most part, you don't give individualized commands. You're basically picking their their strategies or what class they're basically doing. Um, this one, it doesn't quite go so far overboard that, uh, you know, with Final Fantasy 13, it's almost hard to even recognize it as a JRPG anymore. But this one, no. From the way it's presented to the way the battles play, it's definitely a standard JRPG, but it's just 
totally updated for a 21st century. Now, I'm sure Cassandra can tell me exactly why I liked it so much. It's a very, very strategic system uh, because you cannot get through this game by... You, well, you could if you had a lot of patience, I suppose, but grinding will not save you in this game. Like, a smart strategy and looking at what your enemy does, studying their what their behavior and what, what tacks they use and their weaknesses is what will save you. Uh, regular enemy battles go by very quickly because, again, speed, uh, Phil mentioned, and because you tell each, you know, you, you give commands for each character to do before, and then you watch them do the actions. You can easily beat most monster battles with just by just slashing them too, or using certain low-level spells and such, but when you get to the boss battles, that is where the fun begins. And these, these ba boss battles are, can be pretty brutal, but um, not, well, actually, a good, maybe not even, well, how do I put this? A lot of them are. Not, not all of them, but a fair amount for certain. And for t the key to these is to watch what your, the, the monster is doing, because there's a special item uh, called the Analyzer, I think, which lets you see their weaknesses, their resistances, and lets you see how much HP they have. Um, the, the, and each boss has a certain t pattern to them that you need to learn. And even if you lose, actually, you, you might very... And, You'll probably lose at least a at least once to a number of these bosses, but in that fight you will learn like what turn like do they have a particular attack pattern, do they have a particular weakness, what do they do? Um, uh, let me find a, a good a good example would be this. Uh, well, the flower monster boss wasn't very okay. How about the, there's an op there's a, this particular optional boss which um, it changes it's it changes it so that it, it's uh, resist it's resistant to all attacks a certain number of turns. So if you know, so if you try to calculate when it's going to be resistant to that, to, um, uh, which turn it's going to be, have all those resistances, so you can avoid unleashing your most powerful attacks at that time and instead use them on during another time. And to do damage, you've got two major ways to do, deal a ton of damage. You can uh, either you can either sync magic because every character, for every character you can give them, the characters can link either they can use multiple spells themselves, or you can have like all three characters use the same spell at the same time so that they create a higher level spell or if they use complementary magic for instance if you have one person using the same like a same level fire like a level three fire spell and a level three wind spell that'll combine to become a level three light spell to do a lot of damage so you can think that to do a ton of damage to the enemies or you can link up their uh they're, they're sort of like limit breaks, but they're, um, what are they? They're called, tr they're called uh, Excel Axe. If you use their powerful Excel Axe, especially if you use their most powerful ones, they, they do what's called an, an, a Trinity Act. The Trinity Act does a lot of damage, and when you use everybody's most powerful Excel Act, the character who begins it uses, uh, I think it's called a Trinity Act Excel, a move exclusive to them they can only do during it that deals a lot of damage to the enemy. And again, you will need to do this much damage. Uh, another important thing is that for once, defense actually does something. It's not just a way to waste, it is not just a way to waste time. Uh, defense like cuts down the damage to like a quarter, I think, or something like that. So um, a very neat nifty trick here is that the characters will off, will sometimes warn you before an enemy, usually a boss, is about to do a, a devastatingly powerful attack. They'll say something like, this is bad, or I feel something coming, or something along those lines. When this happens, that is your cue to hit defend, and probably to spread everybody out, because a good idea, especially for a boss battle, is to spread everybody out so an area of effect spell doesn't attack you know, all your characters who are get bunched up in this one area. So you defend, and the enemy unleashes that attack, and you can avoid getting a party wipe. 
terribly, extremely useful. So yeah, I have I these these are some of the most fun bosses I've had in a in a while, and um, I absolutely adore this battle system. This is probably my most favorite, you know, traditional turn-based system of any RPG in of all time. I think even I mean there are other more um, complicated or unique battle systems that I enjoy more, but for you know something that's more or less um, you know traditional turn-based, this is absolutely fantastic. And usually with, you know, more strategic RPGs, they tend to slow down to a crawl. Hey, I like Final Fantasy Texas as much as the next person, but playing each board there takes a month of Sundays. In this game, you're doing everything as fast as you want to do it, or you can take your time and think things through. But oh, the yeah. but, but once you put in, you know, your command, you know, depending on the settings, I suppose, but that, you know, you're going to execute your attack quick, the enemies are going to execute their attack, and it's ready for you to input again. And and, and I, I was just, I found myself just walking around, taking the long way to cities and stuff, just so I could get into more battles. Not because I was looking to grind, uh, which I think is an absolute chore when a game forces you to grind to get up to a certain level. That's just ridiculous. You don't, you know, that's not in the true spirit of pen and paper RPGs, that's for sure. But but when you enjoy the system so much you want to get into fights, that's mm-hmm. awesomeness. And, and oh man, I just, I can't, uh, I can't tell you. It's, it's a great, like you said, it's got all these strategic layers underneath. Uh, I love myself some, some RPG strategy. But uh, you know, at the you know at the end of the day, it's not something that's way out in left field. It's not like a, let's say you know I love the game to death, but it's not like a Front Mission Three where you're going to have to go through you know tutorial and figure out all these complex systems to really get into it. You really just jump in, you play the game. It, it feels like a JRPG, and they slowly add in those layers. Um, but uh, the layers never get so dense to where you got to go to Cornell University and get a degree. Uh, oh, for, for sure. Yeah. Uh, also, this game seems to know that the like the boss fights are the best like the best part of the game. At least maybe maybe it was just for me. Maybe it was just saving towards me somehow. But because uh, after you beat the game once, you get to you can even though it, it's not really a new game plus, but you can sort of continue where you left off. Although if you go back to the last area, you could just beat the boss again if you so inquire and see the ending again. But anyway, by by c- continuing that save, you get to fight various extra boss fights for special weapons. Um, and also, there's this arena there that lets you, you know, it's, a, it's an arena, lets you take on these extra battles for, mo- for pri- prize money and special items. And uh, the very last fight in that arena is a fight against three Luminous Arc characters, the first Luminous Arc characters, Lucia, Vanessa, and Saki, the ninja for some random reason, even though they, they should mind you there's another witch. But anyway, and that is the toughest fight in a game and so much fun. The trick to that one for anybody who might be listening is to take out Lucia and Saki at the same time. It's a little tricky and a little a bit it's a little tricky, but it's doable if you kind of switch between both characters and then finish it with a summon by summoning one of your rogress. Because there are summonable creatures called rogress in this game. So so much fun. In fact, after that I wanted I was really hoping that there'd be like a luminous arc two but battle for like featuring other characters, but eh, oh well. You do what you can. Yeah. Oh there in this game too. Copens appear in this game, which I think to me says this belongs in the same multiverse that the Luminous Arc games does. It, it almost says that when you're fighting uh, the Luminous Arc trio. It, like one character says, oh, you came from another universe just to see me? How charming. <laughs> so I guess tongue-in-cheek saying, yes, it's part of the same multiverse. <laughs> which seems to be on hold right now. Right? Yeah, sadly. Mm. Um. Oh, and the, the music a little? Yeah. So it is. It is 
fantastic. This is probably one of my favorite um, OSTs in a long time. Um, the main star, if you will, of this the, of the soundtrack is uh, Yasunori Mitsuda. But, uh, and he does a lot of the, the, the most important pieces, if you will. He does the main theme. He does major areas. He did the last boss theme and such. But uh, he's flanked by two other guys. You have Shunsuke Tsuchiya, who also works on the Luminous Arc 2 and 3 soundtracks. And someone else who I don't think has done any other game yet called Yuki Harada. They do a lot of great work, too. A lot of, uh, the, like, the Shunsuke Tsuchiya's boss battle themes are, can be really good. One of them is kind of, eh. But it's like, um, oh, my most favorite one in this is the, uh, the, the penultimate boss battle theme. Now is a time of conclusion. It is just so incredibly rich and uh, complex. I love it to death. I love this OST to death. I mean, give it a listen because uh, it's really, really, it's really good and it really fits the areas and the boss fights. I mean, I even ended up liking some of the town theme, which I rarely ever do for a game. Those usually kind of like go through one ear out the other, not very memorable. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, I, 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 I didn't beat the game, so I didn't get to do any of the extra, you know, in-the-game content, but I, I enjoyed the boss battles as well and uh, definitely gave you uh, a better chance to show off your strategic muscle or some of the combos that you, you made yeah. earlier. And like you said, I mean, that was kind of cool thing is when you're running around, if you got those, if you got your strategy down and you've got, um, you know, you've got a couple of those spell combos down and such, or you built them up a certain way, you can really show off and just flatten things. And you felt powerful. <laughs> oh, yes. That's why I just love it. Just like, yeah, that combo completely, you know, took off like one half of its HP. That was, that's an incredible feeling. It's an, it's awesome. It really, really captures that feeling. And I mean, I play a game, I'm not, I guess I'm going to pick on it. Uh, you know, I play a game like Dragon Quest and it's just like, oh, well, <laughs> you know, the only reason you you can do a lot of damage in Dragon Quest is if you grind a lot or if you've, you know, you've done a lot of grinding to unlock these you know, extra classes uh, in the such. Um, if you use a certain spell against a certain enemy and it's his weakness, it does a little bit more damage. Eh, you know, it's neither here nor there. You could have just hit attack, 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 heal, and you know, got the same result at the end of the day. But with Dark Rise, oh my gosh, paying attention to those weaknesses, being in the right place at the right time, and having those combos down just you know, payoff huge. It reminds me a bit about Shim, like I talked to her uh, last show or two about Shimigami Tensei and how you know when we were playing a Strange Journey, when you get a critical, um, not only you know you do all this extra damage and that's pretty cool. Our Grace Fantasia, it uh, it isn't just cool as far as you're seeing all this extra damage, but it, it you can feel you know in the combat you're seeing it executed. It just it just feels great. Uh-huh. It, does it give you extra rewards or something? I can't remember if it's one of those games that. Uh, no, maybe I'm thinking no, of another I, game. It's just the satisfaction of seeing the enemy go down. Yeah, <laughs> Sati- seeing the enemy go down is its own reward. Yeah, no, special ex- extra items or something, not at all. But it's just a ton of fun to deal that much damage and to have this boss do so much to you, and yet you find out its weakness and you just nail it right there. Murder. Yeah, it's just it's just absolutely really done well, um, and. You know, it's a shame that uh, when the game came out, um, it didn't really get a lot of the, it, it, it because, primarily because of the uh, the, the really piss poor localization. Um, it got a lot of 
I want to say kind of negative reviews. Uh, a lot of seven out of ten, six out of tens, which in the in the rating <laughs> community is usually really bad. Now we gave it a three point five, which may equate to seventy percent on a, a Metacritic scale. But for game, uh, you know, RP gamer, a three point five is a pretty good score. Um, so, but but whereas a seven out of ten on let's say uh, an IGN or something is practically the kiss of death. You know what? While we're on this subject, let me see what GameSpot gave it. <laughs> I know overall it got. Oh, oh, that's simple. GameSpot didn't review it. <laughs> they stayed. They stayed far away from it. Uh, our, our, yeah, it got like sixty-seven on uh, on game rankings overall. So it kind of got on the low end. And I remember that when the game came out, it got a lot of kind of weak scores. But I had read a couple of Japanese reviews where the localization obviously wasn't an issue, and it got. Really good reviews. When the game came to the United States, I was one of the first people to say, "Raise my hand, say, you know, I'll I'll play this." And uh, maybe it was you. And somebody uh, was going to play it faster than me. It's the only reason I don't think I I rushed through to do the official review. Probably with me. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody finished this yet. Fine, I'll do it. I'm playing it anyway. Yeah, it was just. Um, but but definitely, how Game Vortex gave it a hundred percent though. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I give it a hundred, but it was really a lot of fun. Uh, you can get it on eBay uh, half dot com for about twenty five to thirty uh, after shipping and handling, um, but um, uh, yeah, it's well worth it. I I you know I can't I can't recommend it enough. It's it's definitely a breath of fresh air, and it, and I've said this before. If you're if you're if you play you play role playing games, boys and girls. To, to, to have a good gameplay experience and to be drawn you – know, to either have a good gameplay experience or to really be drawn into another character in, in a way that only the medium uh, can convey or best yet hopefully get both. Um, the storylines, yeah, they can kind of help with that immersion part and whatnot. But it's – at the end of the day, if you really want a good story, go read a good book. You know, Arkrise is really, you know, is really to me the meat and potatoes of a good RPG as far as uh, when you want something that's more about the strategy and building a party and seeing them work cooperatively together because you built them, you know how the game works, you put them in the right place at the right time, and then seeing it all execute with just brings across a sense of satisfaction. You're not going to get by, you're not going to get by playing World of Warcraft and, oh, dang, I just dinged level 59, I got a new skill unlocked, or... You know, I got that piece of loot drop. Oh, please, stop your grinding ways and play a game that gives you satisfaction for using the old noggin and using a party effectively together as a team. And I'm telling you, you give up some of those MMOs, but that's just me. I'm off my soapbox now. And it's not that the story is bad. In fact, I, again, I said this, it uses some ideas in a unique way, and it actually can be pretty thought-provoking when it gets to later on. But... The, again, yes, the localization is terrible. Yes, I wish Xseed had kept it instead of having it taken from them by Ignition. But at the end of the day, it's just one aspect of the game and the, uh, you know, the fantastic battle system and gameplay and the music almost make up for it. Again, I would have easily given it a 4 out of 5 if it had a you know, better localization, but even so, it's a very good game on its own, right? Yeah. So, go out and buy it right now. What are you waiting for? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, we're going to jump right into, uh, you know, well, I guess we do some transition music. Hold on, where's the music button? Oh, here it is. I'm going to press this little magic little button right right here, and then Mike will be back to talk about Mike's Import Corner. 
And this is the RPG Backtrack. This is Mike's Import Corner, where Mike talks about an RPG that he has imported and play, and lets you, the consumer, know whether or not it is worth your hard-earned dollar to track a copy of it down <laughs> from Japan or Korea or wherever the hell he gets these things from. So, Muster Mike. This one I did get straight from Japan. What are you talking about tonight? It's called Soma Bringer. And this was one of those titles that was overlooked during the great rush of DS localizations a few years back. And people pined for it like they pined for Archaic Sealed Heat. Only in this case, unlike in the case of Archaic Sealed Heat, it is actually worth playing. I spent. I'm honestly not sure how long I spent with the game. Probably around 60 hours, and I enjoyed pretty much all of that time. It's an action RPG made by Monolith Soft, and the story is, uh, I don't know, you've got a whole bunch of kind-hearted adventurers, and they find a mysterious girl named Idea, and she's just so lovable and sweet, but she's got mysterious powers that are demanded by these evil bad guys who are trying to unseal an ancient evil and stop me when this sounds familiar. Oh, wait, you should have stopped me at the beginning. Um, <clears throat> really, that's about all I get through the language barrier, and it's kind of annoying that you can't skip through the cutscenes, but that's the worst I can say about the game. It, it has long-winded cutscenes. Because when you finally get into things... It's an action RPG. The class you pick when you start the game matters quite a bit. I picked... I can't remember what it was right now, but I used lances almost exclusively, and if I had switched to swords or axes or bow... I couldn't even equip bows and arrows or guns, and those are in the game. So it matters a great deal in what you can equip. And the skills you develop along the way, they develop slowly, so you have to think really hard about what you're going to use those points you get at each level for, but they matter. And the game is huge without being boring. Each area manages to have enough variety, especially with its enemies, because they keep changing as you go through the place, that you're not going to get bored. And some of them are easily killed with one hit. Some of them take you a fair amount of work to bring down. There are optional bosses lurking around that you can try to run away from. Or you can fight them, and it'll take you a while to bring them down. The difficulty is manageable. Yeah, you can get your butt kicked very easily. Enemies can come very fast and strong. But all it does is leave a big headstone right where you got killed. And it cuts off some of the experience that you've gained, but only the experience towards the next level. You can't lose levels. So if you get killed repeatedly when you have no experience towards the next level, then it actually doesn't do anything. So if you are incredibly persistent and stupid like I was with an incredibly strong boss, then you can just get killed over and over and over and over again while shipping away its life. That's kind of boring, though. Um, Yasunori Mitsuda did the score for this, tying in with the earlier events of the evening there. And, well, what do you know? It's really elegant and attractive music to hear it varies nicely one of the pieces almost sounds like it coming out of castlevania game which is far from a bad thing the visuals uh well the, there's some of that ds polygonal blockiness but the backgrounds in particular look very nice i i'm kind of running out of things to say mostly because i don't tend to do very well when i have to sustain my own narrative but I would recommend it. I got it for, I don't know, about 16, 17 bucks with shipping from Japan. And you will definitely get a lot of game out of it. And once you beat it, you will open up some clear areas. 
And yeah, any questions? So the language barrier isn't too bad? Well, you're going to have to just click through the story mindlessly. But oh, that's fine. in the actual combat... Um, which, which, by the way, is what I do in Arcrise Fantasia, but that's beside the point. <laughs> <laughs> well, ignition translations almost count as taking it into another language, that don't they? Uh, this, again, it's not that Arcrise Fantasia is unreadable. <laughs> no, I'm just, <laughs> just joking. <There> are... <laughs> it's just that it's, so, it's just so poorly worded in certain places <laughs> yeah, where yeah, it might as yeah. well be you know, honestly, this is how far out in left field I am. I mean, I generally do listen to what they're saying and stuff, but I was probably the 1% minority that it really didn't bother me. So I know a lot of people's like, this is so, and I don't mean to steal Mike's spotlight, but, it, it, you know, <laughs> this this is so bad, it's it nails across the chart. And to me, it was like, yeah, okay, press the button. Oh, that's cute. They want to save the world again. It's actually kind of interesting. I, it, actually, a little bit more interesting than a typical RPG, but nothing to write home about. Anyways, I'm sorry, Mike, keep keep going. I, yeah, yeah I, I remembered a couple other things that do matter, and I'll get back to the, the, the language barrier in a second. Um, there is actually no real pausing of this game. You can go into the menu, sure, but that won't pause the game. You can get hit while you're in the menu, and you'll get a bright red alert message telling you, oh, crap, I'm being slammed around. And to get around that, you can map four items to the face buttons of the DS in order to have them ready for instant use. Because, again, there's no real way to pause it. But that's fine, because enemies won't, won't chase you very far anyway. And as for the language barrier, well, you pick up equipment, and you try and equip it, and if you are able to figure out that more green numbers means things are going up, and more red numbers means things are going down, then congratulations, you know how <laughs> RPG equipment systems work. <laughs> the items, most of them are conveniently, will conveniently tell you, ah, HP, hmm, what might that replenish? Mm. And... The areas are big, but there are warp points throughout them so that you don't have to trek too far between each location. And... Look, that, that's everything that I can remember in my second rush. Any further questions? Uh, just, I, I don't know, just a random thought more about it. This was developed by Monolith Soft, right? It was. Because uh, I, I, you know, I, I really like Monolith Soft, especially for the Bot and Kaido series. And I was really, I was looking, I was hoping this game would get brought over. To, again, I, I don't know how many you've played, so I can't really ask if there's any, like, you know, oh no, you played the Xenosaga games, right? But I did. It's, it's similar to either of those, I imagine, so. No, it's not. Those are not action RPGs. Exactly. So yeah, just random thought, Monolith Soft, yay. And it's not like either of the Endless Frontier games. Mm -hmm. Those are sort of action RPGs, but definitely not in this sense. And I highly doubt they're like Bot and Kaitos for certain. No. They are their own special brand of joy, though, Cassandra. You should try Endless Frontier sometime. I think you'll have fun. I really did, should track down a copy. It does sound like something I'd enjoy. Okay, any more questions? Where did you order it from? eBay. eBay? Okay. That's my, that's my standard means of acquiring things, although I keep looking at Groluns or Six on eBay, and it never goes below about 50 bucks, which is disturbing. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
Okay, I think we've covered it. I would recommend this most assuredly. I spent, I don't know, 60 hours on it, and I don't regret much of it, if any. Mm. Okay. Well, we're going to take a teensy-weensy break, and we'll wrap up our show tonight with the final lap, as we always do. We'll be right back. and questions, tell you what we're doing, chit-chat, pick our toes, and all kinds of other fun things. How does picking toes translate over a podcast? Well, podcasting, obviously. I start doing it, and then I hold the microphone to my wife as she goes, Ew, that's gross. Don't do that. Use Are you a sure you haven't submitted this for Fear Factor, Phil? Yeah, Fear Factor. Oh, there was a good one like Child Fear Factor or something. Well, I'm getting a lot of static there, Mr. Apps. Oh. Yeah, there was a, there was a Child Fear Factor on YouTube. It's really funny. you got to watch it. Oh, shucks. All right, so the last show we did a lot of uh, Shimegame uh, Tensei chit-chat. And uh, let's see. We had a couple of comments. Carizro Kazrico said, On the Trinity Universe thing, having been burned twice before on Idea Factory Compile Hard Games, when Mugen Souls came out, I'm waiting for an RP Gamer review of it and buying it only if it's 3.0 or higher. I used to get all NIS games at, at one point, but if and Hitmaker changed my mind, and I'm hazy on System Prism uh, games, still I must grab every guest in an NIS proper game. I really need to get Strange Journey at some point. Oh, look, there's Strange Journey at the end. But, I, you know, it's <laughs> funny. I, I kind of feel the same way. I'm not, you know, with idea games uh, and, and most of the ones that you just listed there, I usually do wait for the uh, review. And I usually wait for the RP Gamer review because RP Gamer has the best reviews on the internet. <laughs> yes, and we have to actually finish the games. Because we, that's what I was about to say, because we actually finished the games. Uh, what's that one, uh, you know, Pokemon, uh, Pokemon Conquest, right? So a lot of people in a rush to get a Pokemon something something review, you know, got their review up. And they're all giving it good scores, and, you know, it's honestly probably a, a pretty good game. But uh, being a conscientious consumer, it's kind of picky about what I buy. I read the text of the reviews, and a lot of them were turning me off because a lot of the reviews said that the game was, was easy. But our very own – who reviewed that anyways? He's here with us tonight. Some guy. Some guy. Some some guy on the sh- that that may have been on the show in the past. He reviewed it, and when he reviewed it, he specifically said in his review that the the first campaign that you go through, right? Didn't you say something about it being pretty easy, and then it gets juicy from there on? Yeah, but uh, if you 
try and just rush through the main campaign. There could be a few challenging battles there, or you can just kind of use terrible Pokemon and try and challenge yourself that way. But yeah, after you beat the main campaign, there's a whole bunch of other ones you can play, uh, a lot of which are very challenging. So, um, and, and as we all know, I love myself some strategy, and I love myself yeah. some strategy with challenge. So now this game sounds like something that's up my, uh, up my, uh, something I would like to play. Your chimney? Yeah, up my. Yeah, it, it, yeah. It's very good, and uh, even though the main campaign was a bit on the easy side, I still had a lot of fun with that. So, uh, so I've so then I went to try to find the game, which has only been <laughs> out for a freaking week, and I can't find it anywhere. I, I happened to stop by my local GameStop, and they told me, "Phil, there's not one in all of Utah. Not even Walmart, Kmart. None of the marts have it." I went online, I looked. Sure enough, all the websites. You know, I'm even pulling out CompUSA out of my rear end and stuff. They're out of business, I think. I'm like looking everywhere. <laughs> no one yeah. has it. Uh, I am shocked at that. To be frank, what's I mean, that? I- I'm sh- I'm still shocked at that. It's just like, the, the, I mean, it's a Pokemon game. Sure, it's not a mainline game, but I thought the spinoff still sold well enough to get at least enough copies. What? And it's a first-party Nintendo release. I yeah, don't. How many of those stupid mystery Jundan Pokemons oh, did they print off? Gosh. I mean, come on. Yeah. I have, yeah, exactly. And this just like, with, I mean, how many did you make? Did, no. How, how many did you really make? Yeah. So I went on to eBay, and most of the people there are selling it for like fifty dollars, and it's a retail of like thirty, thirty-five. Um, but I did finally find one, and I put this in quotation marks: reputable seller from Hong Kong who assures <laughs> me that it's a retail copy and not a copy piece of crap. Um. He's got a ninety-nine point one percent rating with over ten thousand reviews. So I'm desperate here for my Pokemon Conquest. So I plunk her down. It was thirty-eight dollars. Uh, so I plunk her down the 38 bucks. So hopefully I'll have that in four to six years um, <laughs> since it's from. Then the next day I checked or two days later I was just on EB Games again looking at something else. And I pulled up Pokemon Conquest again and now it's saying that it usually ships in 24 hours. Whereas when I looked on it that day after reading uh, Mr. App's review, it said that it was on back order. But uh, for two to six weeks or something, I don't know. But now it says ships in 24 hours. So I don't know if ebgames.com now suddenly has them in stock or if they're having a website error going on there. But every other place I've been to or looked at uh, says that they're sold out. Good going. Apps make me want something I can't find. <laughs> I'm sorry. I guess I should have gotten a review up a day later. Bloodsucker. I, that's why you need to do the review the day the game comes out. Not like three days later. Hello. Don't well, sleep next even... time. I didn't even know I was going to be doing the review until I was almost done with the main campaign. Excuses. <laughs> um, anywho, we, we get off on a sidetrack. We're I reading think comments. that's a pretty good excuse. Yeah, that's what you get for that. All right, so Strawberry, somebody named Strawberry Eggs says, uh, now I recall there is at least one major Mega Ten game that wasn't released here in recent years. The port of Shin Megami Tensei Devil Survival on the PSP. Devil Summoner. Summoner. Not Summoner! Sorry, I'm a little yeah, tired. Yeah, a, a game that was originally on the Saturn exclusively and then ported to the PSP when that system was still young. I don't want a PSP game. Aww. I <sighs> think Sony killed the port of this one. Yeah, that's what I hear, I, which, which I guess might be true, is that they don't, they, that Sony doesn't want any um, just straight-up ports of PS, a PSX game that needs to have enough changes for it to be real, to be localized, and hmm. apparently that didn't apply to Devil Summoner. 
No. You know, Mr. X, I think we've just heard the reason why Suikoden 1 and 2 on PSP never came here. No! We got Suikoden 1. Well, also, it, I believe it sold like 10,000 copies. But we don't have Suikoden 2. <laughs> we don't have Suikoden 2 on PSP, but I got Suikoden 1. Unless you want to pay a good 200 bucks on eBay for it. I paid $120 for it. Oh, you crazy. It was, it's worth it. I'm telling you, it's worth it. Yeah. Uh, let's see. XR2 says Shin Megami Tensei Nocturne is his favorite RPG since Suikoden 2. Oh, there we go. We're talking about Suikoden again. <laughs> well, that's high praise indeed. I like how it forces you not to get too attached to anything. Once the main character has eight powers, if you want to learn a new one, you have to permanently remove an existing one. Also, nearly every dungeon you need to completely reform your party by fusing new demons. Instead of progressing the entire game, like most games, Nocturne requires a lot of destruction as well. He hasn't played Strange Journey yet. Well, he, he managed to get like 20 minutes into it, and then he broke his DS. He's probably going to wait for the new 3DS to be released before getting a replacement, though. I don't worry about the screen scaling issues, but DSs st- still command a significant price in the used market. Uh, all I'm going to tell you is the R2 is, is I, I'm not usually, I usually don't care too much about scaling issues with most of the, 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 the DS games on the 3DS, but you will care about it on Strange Journey, because even if you can somehow put up with the fact that the text makes it look like you're not wearing glasses, if you're used to wearing glasses like I am, um, <laughs> then it will bother you that a good half of the characters are, are not not half of the characters, but the lines that are on the top or the bottom or the side, I can't remember which one it was, it was cutting off half the c- character. So, like, I think it was on the top of the screen, it was cutting them off. And the only way to alleviate that is to switch the 3DS to uh, DS native resolution, but since the 3DS is a higher resolution in English, what that means is you've got to play on a teeny tiny little screen. And your I say better be really good for that. But I guess with the, maybe with the XL or whatever that they come out with now, I haven't had a chance to see that in action. A friend of mine has it. So I'm hoping he'll get let me play with it around so I can see how uh, Shimigami Tensei Strange Journey uh, looks on that. In my opinion, Wait. Strange Journey is your acid test for seeing how a game looks on the 3DS. Wait, he, how does he have the 3DS XL already? I don't know if he are, I think he has it or he's oh, pre-ordered it, it or something. August. Oh, maybe he's pre-ordered it then. Crazy people, friends. I just told me he printed out a life-size portrait of it and is using that in his (laughs) hands. He's taped a magnifying glass to the top. That's his XL or whatever it is. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Throne of Davis has a longer post, so I'll try to summarize, but he says Nocturne is his favorite game. They're more complex, more challenging, more polished, better written, and just better RPGs. And, uh, you know, I have to I have to agree with him. Um, it's a different flavor than Arkwright's Fantasia, but it, it, it definitely forces a, a little bit more uh, strategy than your typical uh, Dragon Quest or Dragon Warrior or, you know, your typical... Um, stuff especially with you know as he was talking about nocturne how you have to keep replacing out your powers and stuff it can get pretty deep what was that i think that's true for kind of the whole shin megami tensei series just more strategic than just about (laughs) any other series out there oh he says the entire uh jrpg genre is a festering pile of caca or he uses (laughs) asterisks but nocturne is so good it can bear the cross for a lot of them uh i I just i like this Wait a minute, I argue with this guy before. I don't like him, I like him. It's a bitter relationship I have with, with <laughs> Throne of Draveris. I think that's a 
bit much. I don't like it when people make these grandiose statements that an entire mm, genre that's true. is a yeah, festering pot. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, no, no, you're right. That's that's you're you right. Can, you're right. You I hate them again. You can point to all these really good games, and you know they're just kind of making a generalization about maybe the most popular titles. And my problem with with regular JRPGs is you're right. Yeah, it is overboard. I mean, my 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 prob, my personal opinion, anyways, for what it's worth, is I don't think they're they're a festering pile of caca. I just feel that a lot of them have stagnated and are therefore pretty boring experiences. But they're not like they're not like bad. And and you know what? For somebody who hasn't played a JRPG before, who isn't bored, I can definitely hand them Dragon Quest Nine and know that they're going to have a good time. Um, it's just me being personally bored because it feels like I'm playing the same thing for 20 years straight. But I, yeah, you're right. That's kind of uh, an exaggeration. But um, let's see here. Uh, Sounds like he needs to play Resonance of Fate. Resonance of Fate. That's right. Uh, virtual high five, Mr. Apps. All right. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Y'all heard that high five. That was me and Apps. We we. <laughs> We've 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 done our we've done our residents of faith love fest a while back. So go back and listen to that backtrack. Um, anyways, he says that he also likes the first two games quite a bit, which hold up quite well despite several um, archaisms. They both have a similar kind of bleak yet irreverent atmosphere that Nocturne has. He loves the occult cyberpunk motif that was sadly ditched somewhere around Soul Hackers. I like Nocturne's. Nocturne has that whole occultic cyberpunk. I love that. Um, he never managed to get a strange journey due to glacial dialogue scenes. What? Now, now, come on now. Then, uh, the, the, uh, just have a little bit more patience. Seriously, it, it isn't what? strange glacial? journey. Glacial? What? What? Yeah, I kind of boggled me too. Like they're not that slow, not at all, it, really. It, unless you you have like a. I know I don't want to insult this person unless you have a, like a really bad reading speed. You know you can't read very fast. There's I can't. They're not glacial. Yeah, it's you impossible. Just, you just press the button. I think maybe they go faster. So I, I, I yeah. They, and, they, and and you know they're actually a, most in most RPGs. I tend to skip the text or don't care very much. In Strange Journey, there's actually kind of a deep decent atmosphere. They're actually feeding into the whole we are in a pit of dungeons occult theme that Shin Megami Tensei's uh, you know really known for. And if you're not reading the text and you're, you're not reading the story or what the people are saying in the dungeon, uh, you're missing out on some uh, some of the atmosphere there. But anyways, uh, he goes on and say he didn't like the theme dungeon. Well, I'd love the theme and a combat system that was vastly uh, inferior to press turn. I don't know what. Press turn, maybe, maybe. Typo. No, press turn is the uh, name, like the sort of official quote-unquote name of Nocturne's battle system. That's sort of, you know, you get an extra turn ah. if you weaknesses or ah. yet critical. Well, yeah, it does. Feel, I will agree. It feels like a teeny tiny step back, but it's not a huge step back. I mean, when you when you do a critical on somebody, uh, all your friends of the same alignment jump in, and you do do buku damage. You don't get a free extra turn, but you get a crap load of extra damage, which. You know, it's it's yeah. you know a half a dozen of one and six of the other. I mean, it's not as good as that other system, but it's yeah, still it's better than most. Most vastly better most than most turn-based RPGs out there. So it's, you still have to pay. A minor complaint. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like saying it's like saying that one flavor of delicious ice cream isn't quite as delicious as the other one. Mm. So that was it's not your favorite flavor of ice cream, but it's nevertheless just a flavor of ice cream that you would gladly eat. Oh yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Right. Um, so that was uh, that. That's and him a- talking about the first two Shin Megami Tensei games means that he's been most likely 
playing with an emulator a bit because those never came out in English. Yeah, likely. Mm. <gasps> oh, dun dun dun! The Dread of the Well, then again, Throne of Dravaris is in Australia, and that's <laughs> even more. Oh, uh, more more limited with release with releases that North America is, especially for that era. So, um, yes, yeah, so that was our comments for our last show. Uh, episode 74. Um, you can leave your comments at board.rpgamer.com uh, and uh, and and get in and jump in on the discussions about our shows uh, and let us know what you think and we might read your comments on the air as well. I mean, most of the time we do. Uh, next show, okay. if you want to start writing comments about that one or emailing us questions and such and we'll be happy to answer them on the air, is number 76, Under a Cloud, where we'll be talking about Dark Cloud 1 and 2. So, you'll want to um, be listening in on that. Um, and, okay, well, I guess now we can, uh, what's that one segment called? I never remember the name of the segment. Oh, well. This is where we yeah. talk about personal crap. Yeah. Final lap? No, well, I mean, the whole segment's called Final Lap, but this is like a mini lap inside the final lap, where it's like the, uh, uh Oh my uh, gosh! It's on the tip of my tongue. Not so final lap. No. Second flag. <laughs> Second to last lap. Second to last. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious! This is personal pimpage, I guess. I, I don't care. I, I used to have an official name that sounded really cool, and I forgot what it is. So, um, Mr. Minky, I understand you've been pretty busy on the review front. What's new with you? Well, before I get to, actually, I've got a couple things to talk about there. First, um. I played the first Dark Cloud a few weeks ago. I'll have considerably more to say about it on our next show. For now, you can just rest assured that mine is the lowest scoring review on the site. And uh, I did not have fun with my time in that game. (laughs) I have started the second Dark Cloud. I have only an hour in, but I would like to say, yes, it is a considerable improvement. The camera still is kind of annoying to me, but pretty much every other aspect is vastly improved. So kudos to you, Level 5, making a sequel that dramatically improves on the original. And a while back, I reviewed Dragon Quest V on DS, which really demonstrates to me how having a mute protagonist can actually be a good thing in this type of story. It's sort of treading the same ground Fantasy Star 3 does with the, a generation will change as the game progresses, but much better done. <laughs> and, yeah, if you have any liking at all for Dragon Quest, I suggest you check that one out because it it was actually touching. I never thought I'd say that about a Dragon Quest story, but it really did get to me a bit. And most recently, I reviewed something called Cartilla, the Word of Fate, which you will find on your PlayStation 1, and which demonstrates the vast, vast gulf between the Atlas of Once Upon a Time and the Atlas of Today. You know, most games, as you are saving to the memory card, will not tell you, now saving, do not pull it out. These are the actual words used when you save your game. Do not pull it out. (laughs) 
<laughs> generally good advice, but not probably what the game was thinking. <laughs> Couldn't just say, you know, please refrain from removing your memory card and your PlayStation 1, huh? No, it had to be do not pull it out. <laughs> there, there are not any other typos I remember that are nearly as funny as that, but it gives you an idea of the translation quality to look forward to, which means that many of the story threads you're going to encounter, well, some of it you can probably blame on the original developers for not putting it in there at all, but a lot of the blame has to go for the localizers. And, yeah, you'll understand what's going on, but mostly you're going to go, who wrote this? Did, did Atlas seriously hand this off to a thousand monkeys in the back room with typewriters at one point? As for the game, it's interesting. I'll give it that. And for a while, it is pretty in- engrossing. It does the standard lances, axes, swords motif that so many tactical games do. But instead of them automatically beating each other... They become stronger based on the altitude of you in comparison to your enemy, and you can re-equip on the fly, which makes for a very interesting system, actually. And instead of buying your weapons or just having magic points, they come from these magical things called cartia. See, there's a title. That you just plow through as ingredients to make your weapons, to power your spells, and to create the phantoms that you can use as auxiliary soldiers and what do you know, they can die in carload lots and it won't ever matter, which is good because if any of your humans in battle die, then it's game over, but you can save at any time and your humans max level at 20. And unless you keep them out of the fray at all times, which is pretty difficult to do, they will max level before you hit the end of the game. So you're looking at some boring battles near the end because your humans are just so strong that, None of the enemies will try to hit them for the most part. And there are two storylines, but instead of it being both characters go through the same general series of events, instead it's as if one huge story was written and then it was cut in half with half of the chapters going to one of the characters and half of them going to the other. So it really might have been better served if it had been kept as one whole Still, I'm not, I'm not sorry I played it, but I can't exactly say this is an amazing game that you need to go track down right now, because it isn't. And since I'm here, I've got to shout out a few movies. I'm not, I'm not going to go anywhere close to all of them. The list comes to over 50, and I'm not even sure I remember all of them without my handy little notepad. But Jailhouse Rock is a movie where Elvis actually tried to act and he does a good job. There's an actual script and a character for him to go through. Go Elvis. And Possession is a frankly bizarre movie in which Sam Neill goes insane and Isabella Johnny has a fit in a subway station and eventually gives birth to a demonic fetus or something and half of it remains inside of her. I really don't understand what happened there. It got really bloody at the end and it made no freaking sense, but it was like nothing I'd ever seen. I'll give it that. And 
I don't think it's in many theaters anymore. It kind of bombed pretty fast. But Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, I enjoyed for being a, a nice romance and a probably pretty accurate depiction of how a lot of people would respond if the Earth was, in fact, about to be hit by a meteor that would wipe out all life in three weeks. Just don't think of it as a comedy the way the trailers are trying to paint it because it it has a few laughs, but not very many. So don't think of Steve Carell as automatically being a funny guy because he's definitely not here. And I'll leave it there. Cool, cool. How about you, Mr. Apps? What's going on in the Q&A department? Well, I've been getting a lot of talk about Suikoden lately, uh, which has been fun. So if you'd like to send some more in, I would be happy to discuss the series. Um, also been playing a little bit of Super Robot Tyson Original Generation, which is uh, I've had been having a lot of fun with. Uh, I warned was, you. Yep, you did. Uh, so, back down. <laughs> so that'll probably be in the Game Boy Advance for a while. Uh, oh, in the same, poor you. <laughs> in the same vein, I've been playing a little bit of Fire Emblem Shadow Dragon on DS and also Devil Survivor on 3DS, which I'm in the late game of, which uh, has been a lot of fun. Even though I'm in some crazy fight with a bug demon oh dear that's uh well it should be uh beelzebub but they spell it belzebul to yeah <laughs> it is one tough fight that though it is it really is. tough and well, done new billion pluses so he goes down pretty darn quickly nowadays <laughs> um so once i finish that i'm probably gonna fire up uh devil survivor 2 which I heard from someone, possibly on this show, that has some crazily difficult battles. Yes, but it's not as difficult as the first game, but my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I haven't played the first one. I, I can't <laughs> compare. All I can say is that, and yes, Cassandra, you apparently eventually found the route that I had with the freaking three-formed final boss that just <laughs> loves to... Uh, and with the first form not even having its own unique music, so I kept wondering, is this really the final boss? Yeah, there it goes. I'm fighting clones of my shadow versions of my characters that are trying to kill me. That's that's nice. Uh, but I guess if you don't take the neutral route, then you might not even have that problem. Who knows? I think you uh, don't. Did you chose to... to um kill the final boss instead of just sort of um, asking it nicely to do certain something? I don't remember that being an option for me. It, right. just, it just threw everything at me no matter what I said. Well, so which... yeah, as I understand, if you choose to kill like, out and out kill that boss, it will be harder because it's trying to defend itself. If you just say, can't, if you ask to reset the world, it will be easier because I chose that option just to reset the world, not to out and out kill it. So maybe I would have had a harder time against it if I didn't choose that route. So Everything what else route easier? What route do I need to not take it's neutral? When uh, Devil Survivor Two? Yeah. Yeah. Don't. Well, here's the thing. It's uh, here's, there's sort of four routes this time. But yeah, don't pick neutral. I suppose. Although, again, if you do pick neutral, pick the neutral and say reset the world, not kill the boss. Okay. 
duly noted. Yeah, neutral involves going with your classmate instead of uh, the fellow from Osaka or your sort of boss. No, 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 no. you definitely, you some, I think maybe it's because you didn't um, do something, you didn't uh, really get, go against your classmate. Was that, uh, what's your, Io? Io? Daichi. Daichi, but go, wait, go against, well, you go against him if you pick the, uh, wait, what do you mean go against him? Oh, okay, wait. I, I meant you go with him for the neutral route. Yeah, yeah, that's why, that's why I got terribly confused. Like, don't you have to be either, um, Chaos or law in order to go against Nightingale. See, I was trying to avoid any proper nouns here because this is still a recent game. But okay, here we go. They're character names, not a big deal. <laughs> yeah, but I think we're getting yeah. So but anyway, are, are the are the two connected story wise at all? Or as far as I can tell, no. I, I think if you are a new game plus, you can fight some cameo battles against. Uh, at least one character, which is Black Frost, oddly enough. But <laughs> otherwise, there is absolutely no references between the two. It's like they take place in two parallel universes, which being Megami Tensei is probably true. Yeah. <laughs> yes, if every Megami Tensei game actually had events that happened in the same world, then I don't think Earth would still be standing. Well, it'd be, or it'd be pretty messed up. <laughs> A couple of them do, but they, 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 I think the third game out now says this is a multiverse, so imagine that these games take place in their own little universe, or these sets of games do. And Devil Survivor 1 and 2 apparently take place in two separate universes, because nobody mentions, hey, do you remember that lockdown a year or a couple of months ago? Yeah, that was, this just seems very similar to that. Nobody ever said that. <laughs> well, maybe the men in black showed up with their white light. Maybe. <laughs> But, yeah, that reminds so, me. Yeah. I saw Men in Black three. Don't uh, I would not bother seeing it. No, was it worse than two? I didn't see two. I somehow skipped it. This one though, it's really not that funny. There aren't a whole lot of jokes, and oh. the time travel, uh, well, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense if you stop to think about it for even a second, or even if you don't stop to think about it. And the climax really, really makes no sense. And I can guarantee that you'll go into that climax and come out of it wondering, what the hell just happened? <laughs> Along with a couple of moments after the climax that just smack of, did we really have to see that? Did I really need to see this? <laughs> and I don't want to go into too many details because it's still in theaters, but uh, don't bother. That's Will Smith gets a couple of good lines in. That's about it. Go see Brave instead. I'm waiting for a family trip on that because, you know, with a family trip, I get a free ticket. Yeah. <laughs> I think you'll enjoy it. It's, uh, I don't know if it's Pixar's best, but it's def, you know, it's, uh, it's very, you mean it's, very good. You mean it might be better than Cars 2? Uh, I haven't seen Cars 2, and I will say that it is leagues better than Cars 2 without even <laughs> having seen Cars 2. One other recent movie I should mention because it's just so interesting. <clears throat> Abraham Lincoln vampire. <laughs> <laughs> it's a small thing that just sticks with me for some reason from that movie. Mary Todd Lincoln standing on his stovepipe hat in order to kiss him. And the hat showing no signs of wear. That must have been one really strong hat. Wow. 
That is uh, <clears throat> it's quite the hat. As for your history, well, I'll bet you didn't know that at the Battle of Gettysburg, the South won when its vampire hordes swarmed over the Union armies on the first day. You know, I've been watching a documentary about uh, the Civil War, and they didn't quite go into that part. <laughs> I can't imagine why. That's, that's a pretty important thing. Especially when President Lincoln ordered all of the silver in Washington, D.C. to be melted down for weapons to be shipped out to the troops <laughs> and got it out on a train that same night, apparently. Uh... Whereupon he showed that even as a man in his 50s, his vampire hunting skills had not atrophied in the slightest as, you know, he stands on top of the train and hacks up about a dozen vampires to attack it. Well, I look forward to the day when some misguided kids think that that's a historical text <laughs> or historical movie. Rather. Well, I guarantee it, the title is accurate. You will see Abraham Lincoln hunting vampires. <laughs> there is no false advertising. Hmm. You will also see a vampire hurling a horse at Abraham Lincoln. Are you trying to convince me to not see the movie or to want to go see the movie? Because I'm getting conflicted messages here. Because that sounds kind of awesome. <laughs> I'm not saying that you should take it seriously. That way lies madness, especially when Lincoln <laughs> proclaims the war we are undertaking is a struggle to determine whether this land will be ruled by the living or the dead. <laughs> <laughs> But I had a good time with it. And you probably will too. If you if you get the same kick out of its sheer straight-faced goofiness that I did. I, I think I would, so I think I'm going to have to give it a try. Okay, I think it's Cassandra's turn, isn't it? It is. Okay, what have I been doing? Well, again, I've just been wrapping up the games for this podcast. In fact, I actually didn't finish Majora's Mask yet. I'm like halfway through that one, but I've read enough about it in the past that it didn't really matter too much. But I did just start one new game, although I actually went through some hoops to try to play the blasted thing. It's um, it's an old Game Boy Color game, Revelations the Demon Slayer. The original oh, title. Oh yeah. yeah. The original title for this is a Megami Tensei game. One of the second one I think released in North America, or like maybe the third one. I don't know if Persona came out before it, but Persona did. Jack? I'm pretty sure. What about Jack Brothers. <laughs> why does everyone forget Jack Brothers? That's why it's the second. Okay. I, I was thinking Jack Brothers first, but anyway. Yeah. What's, what's the matter, Cassandra? Don't you want to buy a Virtual Boy? I really no, not particularly. <laughs> but, don't you want to uh, play Wario Land on Virtual Boy? Again, not really. I mean, I don't <laughs> mind playing this one first. So yeah, the original title was Megami Tensei Gaiden: Last Bible. It was it's sort of a uh, fan, like more of a traditional fantasy RPG, but you can recruit demons. Although I think they call they call them monsters rather than demons, but you do see some classic uh, Megami Tensei demons in there. I myself recruited a Hekwet or Heket, I think it's uh, an Egyptian goddess that looks like a frog. But in any case, I tried. I bought this game a while ago off of eBay, but I just recently tried it out, and the save battery had died apparently. Oh no! And it's been a long time since I bought it. I don't think I could get a new one anyway because I should have known what I got myself into. The game is like twelve years old. Mm -hmm. 
so I looked up how to replace the save battery since I figured, eh, no, you know, if I keep, if I just buy another one, I might run into the same problem. So I tried to, you know, I, I managed to get the cover off and I looked at the battery and it, I bought a uh, one type of battery that most Game Boy Color games use. It was actually a, a different type than that one. So I had to go back to Radio Shack and get a different battery. And I actually bought a miniature soldering iron and some solder. And I was going to have either my, my uh, father or my sister's boyfriend take care of that. But it's a little different than those batteries. And uh, if I used solder, soldering on the battery directly, it would have probably blown up or been useless. So what my sister's boyfriend did was he took a piece of electrical tape and just taped over the battery on these poppers should be. And it works. It mostly works except for some bizarre reason I can only save in the third slot. The other two disappear. <laughs> I have no idea why. <laughs> but hey, Weird. it works. <laughs> it saves. And again, I'm way, way too early to have an opinion on it. I can't even bring anything about the localization if it's, you know, if this shows like um, cards is apparently uh, slightly less some, um, you know, <laughs> sli slightly um, subpar localization because it's pretty darn simple so far. It's just like, oh no, monsters are attacking the next town over. It's like you must use the power of Gaia, and uh, I, again, I'm way too early, but it has the potential to be interesting. The music's actually kind of decent, and again, you can negotiate with monsters slash demons and get them recruited. I only got a Hequit so far. Everything else I seem to mess up on, and they just attack me instead of letting me recruit them. So. Uh, again, very interesting. I hope to look into that. And I noticed that the site only has one. I have no. It wasn't unofficial staff review supposed to mean anyway. I. It's like you know, that's that's a term which none of us currently on staff understand. Yeah. Maybe if we can get fire mist on, <laughs> we might be able to have some understanding. Yeah, there's only that. So I figured maybe I can review this too to have an actual official staff review and to have a more modern take on it. So I'll probably do that when I'm done with it. So yeah, that's about it unless you want me to talk about an anime or something i think that's it your call really no, I'm fine. yeah i can mention that i saw tokyo godfathers a couple months ago and i enjoyed it <laughs> what if what if what if what if what if i told you it took me 25 years a quarter of a century to beat a game well, uh, I'd say you really... Um, you, you got your money's worth, Phil. <laughs> I'd say, what in, What game? Did you just completely forget about it and find it at a pile, you know, under your under a pile, I don't know, close? Is it, is it <laughs> Final Fantasy 1? Or <laughs> the original Zelda? What? Close, close. No. East? It is... It <laughs> is... Um, yeah, East. No, no, it's uh, Y-Barm. An MS DOS action RPG. It's what? Y Barm. W I B A R M. B for boy. There. You can look that up. You look up the Moby. Yeah. The Moby entry on that one. Wikipedia won't even touch it. It's that old. Um. Yeah, and there's no FAQs for it. I found out. You're on your own with this one, Bat. This this one. <laughs> Woo. Yeah. Good times. Um, and you know what? I'm going to give it the appropriate attention that it deserves. So I'm going to tell my story about Wybarm uh, in an official 
um, an official My Story segment. And I've mentioned this before on the show. Anybody can do a My Story segment, and, and even Mr. Apps might do one for us tonight as well. Uh, <laughs> My Story segments are basically where you get to record your thoughts on all your favorite RPGs from way back when right up to yesteryear, just like we do every other week on RPG Backtrack, you can save your most precious memories for your posterity and generations to come. Imagine the excitement of your children who basically have a PSA by then when they hear your voice talking about, when I was your age, we had to use controllers to play RPGs. Our systems weren't installed in our heads. Imagine their delight when they hear you rant about the pains of unbalanced RPGs older than Methuselah. You can immortalize your story here on the RPG Backtrack. First, write down a couple of notes or have a wiki entry, something to help you out there. Have some organized thoughts before you start. And then um, pull out a watch. Go through it once with yourself or to your wife or to your dog. It doesn't matter. This will help you get better organized and get your thoughts together. And Make sure you're between our two- and five-minute time limit. Then you pick up the phone and you call us at 801 810-5597 and you tell your story and if you mess up in the middle don't worry just hang up and do it again and just say hey i messed up and do it again hang up and do a new recording and that's fine as well follow you these sounded like george carlin when you said that phil i try <laughs> to follow these guidelines and your story can be immortalized as an addition to an upcoming RPG Backtrack show. So call today. That's 801-810-5597. So other than that, I've still been plugging away slowly but surely through a strange journey. And... Hey, Phil? Hmm? Would you say that it has been a strange journey so far? It is very strange indeed. And it's funny, after playing Wybarm, the parallels between these games as far as having these huge, big, winding dungeons that make you beat your head up against the wall. So, um, uh, it's, it's, I'm in the fourth dungeon now, the one that begins with the letter D. So I'm working my way up the alphabet. And that dungeon's really big, and I'm not really quite sure what to do next. But as long as I'm discovering a few new squares here and there, I'm not going to reach for the FAQ just yet. But um, I might have to soon because I'm not quite sure where it wants me to go next. Um, hmm. But I am finding it's the, it's still got that Shin Megami Tensei charm as far as you're 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 all the time combining new de- you know your demons together and fusing up to give yourself the optimal party. Uh, not to mention having a few backup demons in reserve uh, because it's. Seems to happen often that a demon will get killed off or KO'd from an expel spell. <laughs> so having a few backups on hand can really help. Uh, let's see. Outside of that, been watching Married with Children on Netflix, and that's about it. Marriage. Who would have guessed that my grandmother really likes The Big Bang Theory? Oh, it's an awesome show. That that I just that I need show. to get the new season for that. That is it is. It is. I never would have expected it to be my grandma's cup. Of tea. You know, I'm mostly into uh, older shows and old sitcoms and sci-fi shows and the such. But uh, that is one newer show that I'll watch without hesitation. It's just hilarious. That's um, one my parents actually introduced me to. 
Yeah, yeah. We're playing it myself. We're playing um still playing Pathfinder, still playing Carrying Crown. We're near the end of the second book. I did a review, I think, on the first book on our board, so when I'm done with the second book I'll try to get around and write a review to that one as well. Uh Paizo's uh Paizo who created um well, or I won't say totally created. They kind of retweaked 3.5 to create Pathfinder a few years ago. Um, they actually started out uh, making a world in 3.5, the Pathfinder campaign setting, and they're very and they would release what's called adventure paths, which are just basically campaigns to to take your your players from level one to 15 or so. The very first adventure path was Rise of the Rune Lords. And um, and they're celebrating its fifth anniversary. They uh, with a by re-releasing the six books in one hardbound book, which is in the mail and on its way to me now. My play. I have a new Wednesday group that's going to be starting, and they're going to be going through uh, Rise of the Rune Lords. So really excited about that. Playing through the first, uh, the first, uh, the very first uh, Pathfinder adventure path. Which, from my understanding, is a very standard fantasy fair, but done pretty well. So we'll see how that goes. And that actually is going to be part of a trilogy of adventure paths. So if you really have a group of friends that you're going to be hanging out with for about a decade, <laughs> there you go. Um, anywho. So I think that's that's pretty much as far as the gaming goes. I've been fighting around with my 3DS and stuff a little bit, but... Um, playing some Super Mario Land 2 on it because that's why I buy the newest advanced systems to play games in black and white. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. Street Pass, please. Who needs Street Pass when you've got Mario? Uh, and then playing some games on the uh, the iPad. Some apps. <laughs> you knew I was going to have to get it in sooner or later. <laughs> do, you, do you download apps? Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> but I never hear you talk about them. Well, um, what did I download? Oh, I just downloaded uh, Cthulhu Saves the World recently for my iPhone. I saw that that was out for that. I mean, I've got it on the PC, so I didn't want to double dip, but yeah. I mean, for 99 cents, it might not be a bad deal. Yeah, double dip. Double dip. Why not? Support them Why twice. Why not? Uh, it's, it's quite fun on the iPhone, although uh, um, the controls for movement are a little wonky. But, you know, it's fine. Hmm. Uh, huh. Well, I've been, uh, been playing, uh, just got, uh, Railroad Story, which is, reminds me a little bit of Railroad Tycoon. And it was on sale for, like, two bucks or something, so, uh, that's been pretty cool. Oh, and, uh, there's that, there's that one game, what's it called? Oh, it's an RPG-ish type of thing, but it's really kind of different. You know, this is the kind of cool thing about it. It's called, uh, can't find the icon. Squids. Well, that, that's an easy name, because all the characters are squids. Really, really silly little story about some quids, squids that are being attacked by these dark whatever creatures or whatever have you. Who cares? Um, but the battle system is really cool. It's turn-based, but instead of just saying attack, attack, heal, uh, you, you your squids are all are are on the battlefield, and you move them around by touching them, holding them, pulling them, pulling back their legs like a rubber band because they're squids, and then letting go, and it shoots them off in a direction. If they hit the enemy, they'll do damage. Uh, if you hit your healer squid, or your healer squid hits one of your other characters, they'll heal them. Uh, you can also pick up power ups that are lying all over the battlefield, and they're very useful. 
Um, and then in between the battles, you will spend uh, the pearls that you've earned to level up your characters or buy them um, armor that adds to their attributes. So, very, very there's no calamari in this game, right? Not yet. I haven't run across it yet, but apparently it's it's good enough to warrant a, a sequel. Uh, they just came out with uh, Squid's uh, Squid's Wild West. So I just seriously serious. I can't make this up. I'm looking this up right now. I I couldn't make this up if I tried. And trust me, I squid travel around in little goldfish bowls. Well, no, they're under the sea. But apparently, there's some Western, uh, you know, type of buckaroo, whatever. Uh, So, So a little piece of seaweed blows by like a tumbleweed. Yeah, it just kind of floats by, though. It just, yeah. I, I really can't make this stuff up, but uh, I would absolutely encourage people to at least give these games a try. They're only a, they're only a couple of bucks, and I don't remember if there's a demo uh, or not. It's, yeah, Squid's Wild West. Both of the games have a five-star rating, a solid five-star ratings. Squid's has 111 ratings right now in their current version, and Squid's Wild West has 259 ratings. So, um and I don't know how much they cost now because I've already bought it, so it doesn't show me the price. But I swear it was only a few bucks. Uh, I would have paid five or so bucks for them without hesitation. They're they're just cute little fun games. Um, yeah, but look at the Wild West. They're wearing cowboy hats, and the the main character there's got a gun in his hand. So yeah, because you have shooter squids that can shoot at a distance. So that's the shooter guy they got back there. Yeah, you got like a tank squid. You got like a scout squid. You got the healing squid. Uh, they're they're really cute and fun. So, uh, a a a great adventure for hardcore RPG players as well as casual iOS gamers. Provides hours and hours of fun. Well, I'm sure it is. The squids are back, <laughs> bigger and better. This epic adventure continues our band of stretchy heroes as they explore the underwater wild west, fight back against the evil black ooze, and search for Winnick, their fallen comrade. If you don't know Squid yet, Squid's Wild West is a great place to start. A mix of action strategy and RPG. And you get to pick which which characters you want in the party, or which, which squid you want in the party, and, uh, and stuff like that. So... Cool, cool. Check it out. Um, alrighty. Well, I think that is it for our show tonight. Hang on after the show. I don't know if it'll be after the end music or before it to uh, hear uh, hear uh, hear a couple of other little extra tidbits. But for now, we're gonna say a good night to my good friends, Mister Michael Apps, Miss Cassandra Ramnos. Thank you so much for being on the show this evening. No problem. You're welcome. I was glad to be on. And, of course, I always say a big, huge thanks to Mr. Mike Minky, who puts this together. And without his logistical assistance and creative talent, this would not be possible. RPG Backtrack is a production of RP Gamer, your source for RPG news, impressions, reviews, and home to the best gaming community on the net. Write your questions and comments on our boards or email jcservant at rpgamer.com to help shape our future shows. Don't forget to follow us on twitter.com slash rpgamer. Become our biggest fans at facebook.com slash rpgamer. And as always, you can listen to our vast, growing library of now 75 previous podcasts, as well as our awesome sister show rpg cast all at rpgamer.com mr mike take it away you know thinking about it we talked about pretty much half of the good rpgs in the nintendo 64 library 
And that astonishing fact just still does not make me want to go buy an N64 because all of those games are now found on the virtual console or by another means. So I am not sorry to have skipped that console because it's few worthwhile offerings have survived into other eras. But you know what? I think I'm going to have to try them sometime because I'll darn if you didn't sell me on them. And that's not nearly as deep or poignant a thought as I would have originally preferred, but I'm, I'm stuffed and I'm feeling replete and I don't feel like coming up with anything particularly insightful to say. So just good night, everybody. <laughs> oh, hey, this one reviewer says that the Squid Game is the adorable spawn of Angry Birds and Final Fantasy Tactics. Oh, hell, are we still recording? Dang. <laughs>